Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. In 2017, the military gathered a small group of scientists to try and bring the Quantum Leap time travel program back online. Five years later, believing it was the only way to save his fiancée's life, Dr. Ben Song risked everything when he entered the accelerator to travel back in time. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. Ben believed he would only need to complete 18 leaps before he could return to the place and people he calls home. But something went wrong. Ben! No! And for reasons unknown, Ben did not leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 156, The Family Treasure. Uh, this is the last will and testament of Salim Malik to my eldest daughter. Nadia, sit. Very nice. All right, first, to my eldest daughter, Sarah, I leave this terracotta vase. May its fragile beauty grace the happy home you keep so well. Is this a joke? You know there wasn't any savings to add everything into his search. To my fearless Dina. It's Dean. I leave my baseball glove in the homer you caught when the rebels beat the cats in 46. That's not. <laughs> to my precious Nadia. That's me. May this ship send you off with a message of inspiration as you head to university. Great. Dad, thanks. Nothing to remember you by but a bunch of junk. I'm not gonna listen to you rant. You would defend him. I <gasps> I think Dad left us more than junk. Looks like some sort of map. You're getting married today. We you know it is a bit sudden, but look, we'd really like you all to be there. Uh, you are Nadia Malik. You are 17 years old, and you just graduated from finishing school. Your father, Salim Malik, was a Lebanese Christian who escaped Turkish persecution and immigrated here in the 20s. He then became a disgraced literature professor and spent his life chasing treasure across the Americas. Sarah is married with two kids, and Dina just sort of bounced around from job to job until she disappears in Mexico a week after the will is read and the family falls apart. Dina must be the key to all this. She went looking for the treasure, but she went along. Please tell me you're not serious. You actually want to go looking for this all by yourself? I'm in. Dad left each of us pieces of the map. That must mean something. He's leading us to the treasure. There is no way you will get me to go after some worthless treasure. That's hardly worthless. How much is it worth? The jewels of St. Patrick are found today. It'll be worth around $40 million. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. And I'm Alison Bregler. And today we are talking about Season 2, Episode 10 of Quantum Leap, The Family Treasure. Hey, they're family on Globetrotting Adventures. (laughs) Quantum Leap, you're family. (laughs) Family. We're family. And they did say family quite a a few times in this episode. They did, they're like, family's the most important. Family. We're family. Family. Family's forever. (laughs) We were channeling Vin Diesel. It was quite something. I got family. Because we were making fun of that on... I shouldn't say that. We were teasing. We weren't making fun. We were teasing about family at the end of the last episode. No, no. It's a, it's a very popular <laughs> meme, as the kids say. You and know? we're hip. We're hip to the kids and the <laughs> we're memes. We're hip with the memes. And Vin Diesel is family. So every time he came up in this, I just thought of you and I chuckled. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> as opposed to when I usually think of you and chuckle. This had a specific... Uh, anyway. Okay, well, good. I know this was like a lot to take in today because I know you're like super 
like jazzed because yesterday you had a you had a big day. Oh, I had an adventure. Ooh, that's a good tease. But before I tell you all about that adventure, uh, I just want everybody to know that in addition to reviewing this episode today, we are also going to bring you an interview with Wilder Yari, who plays Dean. They spoke to Albie and me, and uh, we had a fantastic time. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that after the break. We also have interviews for this episode with Holly Bahar, who plays Sarah, the other sibling, and we are doing a joint commentary with writer Shakina and director Jude Wang. So, Hot dang. Right? A whole bunch of stuff going on with this episode. Uh, Albie is, uh, once again, just lining them up and knocking them out. If you guys haven't watched that director's commentary that we did with Joe Menendez for Off the Cuff, I think you should go back and watch that to see how great these things are and all the interviews we're doing up on the youtube channel all phenomenal content go see it's a lot of fun so all right allison you teased it and i did have a big (laughs) it was chris's very big adventure in new york city yesterday do you want to hear all about it (laughs) sure do i got to meet with none other than scott bacula yesterday everybody cheer So, uh, this is what happens. Because he's awesome, Scott's publicist, J.D. Schwartz, reached out to Albie. Scott is doing a show in the city, New York City. To me, it's just the city, but for anybody else, it's New York City. New York. New York. Uh, It's called The Connector. And it's a new production of a musical that Scott is starring in. And we got some press seats to see it yesterday. And uh, it was also a very special performance because they had a QA and a session afterwards that uh, featured Scott and Jay. And it was specifically for Quantum Leap fans. They set this up for the fans of Quantum Leap as a thank you and as a way to let everybody know what's going on with this show. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal to me. It's like surreal because I think Scott has been on like Good Morning America or or some of the morning shows last week promoting this stuff, yet he's still talking to us. Like they're they're calling us too. It, I think Entertainment Tonight That's was awesome. there taping while we were there. We were also taping. We didn't have a camera set up like they did, but we did film the Q&A and uh, we did the best we could with the setup we had. So that will be coming onto the YouTube channel and uh, Albie's going to be putting all that together. He was so excited. But that was just the beginning of the day. It, it was weird. Um, Albie was supposed to come out with his daughter, Serenity, and it was going to be the three of us. So we had planned an entire sort of day around the Scott Bakula performance, which also included a bunch of sightseeing that they wanted to do. And we got tickets to Back to the Future, the musical, for the same night, for last night. Heck yeah. Yeah. So it just turns out that we had all these plans in place and then Albie, uh, he, he just couldn't come. He couldn't make it. There was a conflict. So we had, we had the seats for the connector. We had the seats for back to the future. And I said, okay, what do we do with this? We can't return anything. So I called our good friend of the show, John Irons. Uh, you guys probably all know John. He is a frequent guest on the after show with Albie and Hayden. And, uh, yeah, great guy. Yeah. He's a great guy. So I, John, he lives somewhat close. He lives in DC. So I said, do you think, you can get up here do you want to be you know my my plus one with the press credentials and he was like yeah sure let's do it so i got to spend the day i met john for the first time in person yesterday it was phenomenal uh he's such a great guy so it's always weird allison you know when you meet people who you've known as podcast friends in real life and 
I think we've discussed this distinction before, but John joked with me yesterday. He said, podcasters are just friends you haven't met yet. <laughs> which is it's like the weirdest thing you know it's like i feel i know you i know we're friends but we've never met in real life so for someone old like me that's a little bit of a disconnect so it was really i was a little nervous to meet john because i'm like what if he doesn't like me what if we you know what if we just look at each other awkwardly <laughs> i bet he was thinking the same thing yeah like a little bit of social anxiety but uh and yeah. it's weird because it's someone you know right Sure. It's always different when it's in person versus uh, voice or text because, I mean, no matter how long you've known someone. Yeah. It's going to be like that whenever we meet in person. I know. We're just going to look at each other <laughs> awkwardly and kind of look down at our coffee. Um. And <laughs> how's, how's the cat? Well, I got to go. Oh, good, 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 good. <laughs> how's Phelan? Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> but it's great that you guys had a good time, you know? Like, there's that awkwardness, but it sounds like it was like a, a really good day. Yeah, it was. And uh, meeting John was just the beginning of the good time because, as you might imagine, there were so many Quantum Leap fans there. There were people there that I've known tangentially through the podcast as well. So um, there was a podcast listener, uh, her name is Karen Saxon, and uh, nice. she she contacted me. And so I met Karen there. When John and I got to the theater, Karen was there. So we hung out with Karen. And um, Suzanne Smiley was there. If you guys, hey. uh, yeah, if that sounds familiar. Suzanne used to contribute a lot of stuff about music replacement uh, when Alvy was hosting the show. And Suzanne and I did one of the wraparound segments for the 17-hour uh, A Little Miracle special that Alvy keeps growing and growing and growing. So we've been <laughs> on mic together. So it was great. Suzanne was there with her friend Ray. And so I met Suzanne and Ray and uh, Karen. And uh, Suzanne actually wound up coming to the Back to the Future musical with us. And nice. um, we all went to dinner together. So, it, hey. yeah, so we had a great day. And I also just want to say how surreal it was because there were other people there who I guess, you know, I was talking to John and I was talking to Suzanne and we're online, this, this line snaking around to see Scott. So the way it worked is we saw the, we saw the play. Uh, the musical it was it was fantastic by the way it was such a good show and you know me I don't like musicals <laughs> unless it's an opera unless it's an opera not interesting not interesting <laughs> but uh, I went to see this and the score is so contemporary and so jazzy and the music is intertwined with the dialogue with the choreography in such a way it's like it's like nothing I've ever seen before it was so cool it was so hip to this cat. So I would recommend anybody, <laughs> even if you don't think you like musicals, I mean, Scott is phenomenal in it. He's His singing voice is as good as ever. He is just terrific. And the entire cast is great. So I would highly recommend going to see this at the MCC Theater. It is playing now through, I think it's extended to March 3rd. So if you get to Manhattan, MCC Theater, you can see Scott up through March 3rd. They might even extend it more. Who knows? But uh, getting back to the way the day was laid out, we saw the show. And then they did the Q&A, which John and I recorded. And then after that, we had to leave the theater because they were setting up for another production. And they brought us all out into the lobby to snake around in a big line to have Scott sign stuff and to take pictures. So Scott was doing meet and greets with all the fans. And of course, the entire theater spills out. So poor Scott, he does an entire show. Then he's got to do the Q&A, which was a half an hour. And then I, it had to take an hour at least for him to get through all the fans, maybe even longer because we were online with the last in line and then he had to do another show that evening so i mean he's oh, phenomenal man. he is so dedicated he's gotta have stamina <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't have it i'd be like i'm yeah, tired it's like everybody okay go send them away jd send them away but uh <laughs> no, he was he was so great but when i was online you know just talking back and forth someone behind me said are you chris 
I was like, yeah, yeah, what did I do? What, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, first. And she said, uh, no, I'm, I, I listened to the podcast. I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of you and Matt. I'm so sorry to hear about Matt. I love that Allison is, is on the show talking about the new show again. And um, her name was Alexis, Alexis S. It turns out that Alexis sent us a postcard in the peel box oh. that I've been meaning to read. We got it about two two days after Matt passed. And uh it's something that I've been I've been holding on to to read and I plan to do it on this show and just oddly enough she was in line yesterday. And this is what That's awesome. This is what freaked me out, Allison. <laughs> she said, Can I get a picture? I said, I said, of course, of course I can you know. So we're leaning in and we're taking the picture and she said, I'm sorry, I'm nervous. I'm a little bit starstruck. I said Scott, You're a big deal, man. Scott Bagula is 20 feet away. <laughs> <laughs> and your Star That's Trek? amazing. It's like, what's up? Thank you, Alexis, for my ego. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, she's taking the picture and then Scott Bakula sees it and is like, I cannot believe this. I am the star. <laughs> right? Get out of here. Stealing my fans. <laughs> No, that's really cool. That's super cool. And uh, thanks for the kind words, Alexis. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So we'll be reading that uh, the postcard that she sent later in the show. And Karen, who I met there yesterday as well, uh, also sent some feedback for Off the Cuff. So we'll be reading Karen's feedback as well after the break. So stay tuned for all of that. That's more to come. And uh, one last thing I want to say, I also ran into Stacy from the TV Talk podcast there. And she asked me to sign Beyond the Mirror Image. It was it was Aww. just so weird. It was just so weird. But uh, I was able to sign it on the dedication page that Matt gave to us, Allison, and um, yeah, it teared me up. But uh, it was yeah. it was a nice moment. It was a nice moment, and the piece of resistance. And then I'm done. I'm sorry, I've been babbling, but I'm just so excited. No, it's great to hear. I like listening to it. I had um, from years ago, years ago, when I was podcasting with Skipper, and Skipper was contributing to uh, Quantum Leap Podcast uh, before we even started 112263 and all that, Skipper had sent me a blow-up picture of the shot from the end of Mirror Image, that final shot of Scott and Dean. And it's them standing out in front of Al's place. Scott has the brown jacket. You all know it. Dean's in his uniform. Mm -hmm. So I had a nice size photo of that that Skipper sent me years ago. And I recently found it. I was cleaning out my closet. And I said, oh, I want to do something with it. Wouldn't it be great if Scott could sign this? And duh, look what happens. So I was able to get <laughs> I was able to get that signed by Scott yesterday. And now it's going to be framed and hung up in my library. I'm just so jazzed about so cool. that too. Yeah. So I took some pictures. Uh, I put some stuff on our Instagram page, a uh, shot of me and Scott, a shot of me and John, a shot of uh, me and Scott from 2009, as opposed to 2024, <laughs> which is in our- And you both haven't aged today. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, uh, I think we both look pretty good considering the amount of time yeah, this past. you both look great. So you can go see all of that on our Instagram channel if you haven't already. That's uh, Quantum Leap Pod, at Quantum Leap Pod, I believe, or at Quantum Leap Podcast, one of those. Just search for Quantum Leap Podcast. You'll find us. So yeah, so that was my big day in the city. And um, thank you, everybody, for making it such a magical time. I mean, it was so nice to be in the fan community with everybody. It was so great to see Scott in a context outside of Quantum Leap. I had never seen him perform before as, you know, a singer or, or in a play or anything like that. So it was just a terrific experience all around. That's so cool. I'm happy for you. Yeah, we had such a great day. We had such a great day. And I'm also a little bit disappointed to report that I thought the Back to the Future musical was pretty terrible. <gasps> <gasps> 
that's, not. A, that's an entirely other show. We can do like a whole leaps elsewhere or <laughs> tangent about that. <laughs> I'd love to see it in general. I've never seen it. So. Yeah, I so. think, I, no, I saw a performance in the, the Macy's Thanksgiving parade. They yeah. had, yeah, Suzanne <laughs> they sent had me one that. of the songs. That's <laughs> she, all I've seen. Suzanne sent me that this morning. She's like, well, this has more context now. <laughs> I like yeah. the Doc Brown dancers. That was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, they were there. They had a whole number of boy howdy. So, hey, we're not here to talk about Back to the Future, the musical. Uh, we are here to talk about the family treasure. So I think I've taken up too much time already. Why don't we get to it? Alison Pregler, what are your initial impressions of the family treasure? I do like a good adventure. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there was some fun stuff in this. Uh, I thought that it was nice that it was a, an episode with sort of a lesson, you know, a very quantum leapy. And uh, I liked the guest stars. I have to say, I was swept away by this episode and prepared to hear me gush a little bit. I thought this episode worked on just about every level. Even the stuff that I found goofy worked well because I liked the characters and the guest stars so much. Shakina did a great job with the script. I think the direction was fantastic and just that sense of adventure. Give me that. Oh, give me, give me a treasure map and, you know, like caves. And I feel like I'm on an 80s adventure. I am, take my money. You got me. <laughs> so I had, I had a real real good time with this one and uh i don't know where you want to begin because there was a lot of stuff because not only did it have adventure like you said it had it had a message and it had it had some good heart and um also a lot of back at the project stuff was was advanced so i i think maybe i want to talk about the adventure stuff because we were talking about romancing the stone in the end of the last episode it was comparing this to that uh just off the cuff duh ha pun anyway um <laughs> And uh, we had heard from some listeners who also liked the movie and they lump it in with Raiders. And it's funny because when we were talking to Wilder and we were talking to Holly, the director, Jude, would say Goonie Up at the beginning of oh. most scenes. So for Jude, the Goonies was a real big influence. I could see some Goonies in that. And the funny thing was, when we were talking about this, even though we were talking about Romancing the Stone, I started to have that song Good Enough by Cindy Lauper, which is the theme to the Goonies <laughs> yeah, in my yeah. head. <laughs> Goonies are good enough. It was kind of funny to hear that that's where Jude was drawing most inspiration from, apparently. This, I think, continues the trend this season of just a grand adventure feeling for the show. And it's so much more dynamic now than it was in the first season. And I feel like it's adding to the legacy of the original series in such a substantial way now because of the massive scope of this season. Is that something you've been enjoying? Because you got to binge it all, like back to back <laughs> to back to back. So you got to see it like, I'd be curious to know your take on that aspect of it. I can definitely see the more uh, action adventure focus this season. Uh, I'm glad that in the recent episodes, he hasn't been playing a, an agent. <laughs> because it seemed like every couple episodes he was an agent of some sort and then he was like a, an acting agent and I'm like okay I guess it's a different agent but he's still an agent <laughs> um, but yeah I mean I like the adventure focus I like focuses on smaller things as well which I think this episode did a good job of combining both things so it wasn't just about a sprawling adventure um, because the adventure and the action doesn't really mean anything if you don't care about the characters involved with it so yes. uh, yeah I've, I've been noticing definitely that tone this season. Yeah, and that's where I think this episode really balances the two because I did genuinely care 
about the characters yeah. and the relationships that were presented. And this is kind of like Tahotep if Tahotep was actually good, if it had a center that we cared about. <laughs> Tahotep was amazing. This episode should have ended with one of, one of them getting eaten by a mummy. Otherwise, I mean, what are we doing here? I mean, really, come on. But you know what? You know what appealed to me about Tahotep, uh, regardless of, you know, whether it's good or not, is that it, it felt worldly and it felt adventurous because the old quantum leap rarely left the united states it rarely had an adventure of that kind of scope and they do a lot of that in this show in general so it's nice that it feels very worldly it feels very open it feels like there's lots of different possibilities for things that they can do and just finding ways to make it feel nostalgic as well. And you know me, I'm not big on nostalgia, but they had that scene in, in this one, the transition scene where you see the map and the red line is going across the map. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like that. You can just hear the Indiana Jones theme playing because that's exactly yeah. what it's from, you know? So, and there's a scene with the skeleton. Oh, yeah, yeah. The very Goonies with the skeleton. They, fi they find the, the old pirate and then this is... That version of that, One-Eyed Willie? Yeah, One-Eyed Willie. That's what it was. There's also a scene in Raiders where I think Marion is in the tomb and she's surrounded by skeletons and she's just like screaming her head off. Yeah. I feel like just in general, you find a dusty old skeleton <laughs> in a cave, you know, you're in an adventure movie. Like, right? And then the, the like comical screams when they find the skeleton. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And uh, they also had the scene where Sarah had to reach in and she's finding the key, but that is straight out of oh. Temple of Doom, which is my favorite indie movie. Come at me, haters. I love Temple of Doom. I love that shot from inside as she's reaching in and the hands coming toward the camera. Mm. It's a nice, fun shot. Look different, ambitious. Yeah. We were talking to the actors about those scenes in the cave because it was a mix of real cave and sets. They shot a little bit of both, but all the stuff that you saw with the cave-ins and the fake rock and the key, the sham rock, get it, and the key, <laughs> all that was set stuff. Sure, sure. And uh, for all that, I maintained my suspension of disbelief throughout this entire episode. I think because I was so swept up in the adventure of it, I bought that they were in the cave. I bought that there was a cave-in, a rock slide. Yeah, I never uh, noticed uh, the transition between real cave and uh, fakey cave, so blended in really well. I've seen a lot of Xena and fake boulders and stuff falling on top of people, so I would know if it was a fakey cave. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of Star Trek caves. Yeah, a lot of, yeah, exactly, styrofoam <laughs> caves from Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, no, it looked good. Yeah, it looked, it looked really good. And they were just, they didn't actually go to Mexico for any of it, right? It was just sets that they had that's, this is the Mexican set. So, yeah, you'll hear this. I, I forget whether it was Wilder or Holly. Maybe both of them talk about it a little bit. But um, that Mexican set is on the back lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even though it, it seems it seems really authentic. It felt like they were in the desert. But they did do some shooting in the desert. I'm curious to know. I guess I'll find out tonight when we do the commentary with Shakina and Jude. That well that was uh, featured prominently in this, was that the same well? Was that the same area just redressed that they had for the witchcraft episode for uh, a, a kind of magic? Oh, I wouldn't be surprised if it was. I didn't think about that, but that probably is what they did. They're like, we have a well, let's redress it into something else. <laughs> let's go back to the well. Yeah. Boom shot. <laughs> let's go back to that well. <laughs> but uh, I think that uh, it's it still, to me, again, it, it felt like they were in the middle of nowhere. So I'm not really sure about – anyway, whatever combination that they use, they I think they were able to use – 
all of their resources to amazing effect here. Even the the set dressing in the house was funky and eclectic. It reminded me a little bit of Oh Ye of Little Faith. Yeah, yeah. Despite all that, as good as all that stuff was, you said this this episode had a lesson because it's Shakina writing what she cares about. You can tell it's a Shakina script. Yes, <laughs> you definitely can tell. Yeah, I mean Shakina <laughs> wants she she wants to um, highlight and educate about the trans community, about the queer community, sure. and I can't help but compare this one to Let Them Play. So why don't we just yeah. take this one first on its own merits? I felt like the story told here was so great because. The siblings really seem to care about one another. And it could have gone in such a different way because Holly's character could have been uh, – that's Sarah. Sarah could have been easily just like a, a, a one-note foil, like a stereotypical hater. And they skirted away from that completely. And that's what made all of the stuff so effective when it came to the interpersonal relationships between the siblings. What was your reaction to that stuff? Because I had a very definite reaction, especially to the binding scene. But I want to get your take on it as a woman. I'm thinking that I have a straight white male point of view of this. And I'm the guy that they're trying to educate about this stuff. I'm the middle America that they're trying to reach. At least you have a female perspective that you can bring to this that might have a little bit more resonance. I'm just curious to know your take on the relationship and the gender stuff and everything that was presented here. Yeah, I mean, I'm still like a cisgender woman, so I can't really speak to, you know, what it feels like to be trans or non-binary or any of that kind of stuff. I can say that uh, learning about uh, non-binary people specifically has been, a, I guess, a recent phenomenon for me. I guess I'd heard of it, but it feels like it's it's more recent that I'm learning about non-binary people. Um, like, I, I guess I've never, like, been against it or anything. I've just not known about it or thought about it very much. So it's been nice uh, with the show especially to learn more and to see more non-binary characters just as characters. And uh, I can't think of any instance watching anything – uh, where they've had a scene where they've just explained what non-binary is, even on this show. Like, they've mm -hmm. had Ian on the show this whole time, but I don't think they've ever really gone into specifically what it is. And the the binder scene in this episode, I feel like, was uh, – it was a little on the nose, but in a way that fits for Quantum Leap and fits for the time now. Because I think right now, especially, things are really bad for trans people, and especially in the United States – so just to have this representation and to have a scene that just says, this is what this is, this is valid, and to present a character you really care about and then come out with this information about them, they're not just presented as the non-binary character, it's presented as, this is Dean, and then you learn who Dean is. Yeah, yeah. And I think to me that was key because as I had prefaced this discussion, I couldn't help but think of Let Them Play. And while Let Them Play, I think, was a milestone in Quantum Leap and an important episode, um, it was oftentimes very clunky, very PSA-like 
Yeah, I think this uh, smoothed out some of those issues. Yeah, this one was so much more effective to me because the message, I think, was a little bit simpler and it was based in character work. It was based in uh, organic development about characters that we had come to care about. So the message resonated so much more with me. And I'll I'll just be, I'll, I'll be, you know, upfront about it. I was watching it. I was so swept up in the action of this episode. I was really enjoying myself. And then that binder scene came on and halfway through it, I just started bawling my eyes out. I don't know why. And I couldn't figure out why. I mean, because I knew the message was coming. I kind of knew that they were going to spotlight some of this stuff, but I think it's because I'd come to care about the characters so much. I really liked them. And I was talking to, I think it was when I was talking to Holly about it because we spoke about it with Wilder and with Holly. I think that what really affected me was Holly's reaction, or I'd say Sarah's reaction, that's the character. It it came from a place of genuine curiosity. There was no rancor. There was no, I have to turn around someone who hates me or I hate you because of who you are. It was, please help me understand because you're my sibling and I love you. And then, you know, she's asking some of the questions that you said, they're a little bit on the nose. Does that mean this? No, it means this. Does that mean you're against this? No, not necessarily, you know. So it was a little spoon feedy there, but it was also organic to who those characters were that I just, it, it just broke me down. I don't know. I, and, and I think it's because it came from such a place of honest curiosity and love. And, um, it took, talking to Holly about that for me to finally put my finger on why I was so affected by it. And I, I guess it's just because of the positivity at the end yeah. of the day, it was positive. And, um, Ian crying in the control room. I was, <laughs> I'm, I'm choking up a little bit now just thinking about it. Yeah. It's a very effective scene. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a scene that'll mean a lot to a lot of people. And I think it really speaks to its effectiveness that it affected you in that way. And this is not your experience, but you felt what they were feeling in that moment. Yeah. And I think what it is, it's just like, I I just, I hate bullies and I hate ignorance and I hate just intolerance. So when you have a scene that can uplift and present this stuff in a way where you don't have to necessarily fight against an other to prove your point, it's so much more, I, I think, grounding for anybody who might be watching because it's not coming at a place where if you feel that way, you're feeling attacked or you're feeling like you're going to shut down because you're being criticized. It just comes at it from an honest way of saying, hey, this is who I am. And at the end, when they're hugging and they're like, thank you for listening to me, it, it was just thank like- Thank you for listening to me when I tell you who I am. Thank you listening to me when I tell you who I am. Yeah, that I just wish that we could all feel seen like that, that we could all understand one another like that. Yeah, that's what a quantum leap's about, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I'm sorry, I get emotional. It's been, it's been, it's been a whirlwind. It's been a whirlwind these last couple of days. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. It's good. It affects you that way. You never want to just be watching something and even if it's just okay be kind of bored you know it's it's good that it affects you in some way and that there's some sort of message there 
and it was wrapped up in an adventure story. Yeah, so, you know, it was rocking. nice that you got, yeah, yeah the best <laughs> of both worlds. Yeah, yeah. And um, no Borgs in sight. I think that um, <laughs> this is the feeling that, to me, when I think of the best of Quantum Leap, legacy series or revival series, this is the kind of feeling I want to have. This is Quantum Leap to me. The unexpected tears, the unexpected emotion. Think about um, the end of Song for the Soul when she's singing to her dad. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm on the floor. I'm a puddle. I'm melting. You know, think <laughs> scenes between Sam and Al. The final I watched after this, I was like so happy and giddy and weepy, and I decided to watch Mirror Image again because I just needed to have that that feeling, that Sam and Al feeling. And Mirror Image always gets me. So I mean, it really brought out everything about Quantum Leap that I love. Uh, like I felt all of those same emotions watching this episode. Yeah, I think like. It was nice that this episode was about something deeper than just having an adventure, which is nice and is fun. And there's lots of great episodes like that. But it's nice when Quantum Leap is about that person's story. And some episodes that are just so action-based might lose that a little bit. So it was nice that there was something to ground it in, in something very human. It gave the episode a center. Yeah. Because I wouldn't care about it if I didn't care about the characters. And I I wonder how this is going to come off to people coming into this not knowing Dean's story and not knowing Wilder Yari uh, as an actor, um, that they're non-binary. See, I already knew that this was going to be a non-binary character, um, but I wonder how it's going to come off to people who might not know what that revelation is going to to mean to them. Yeah, I mean, they do broadcast a little little bit throughout when they're like Dean, sure. Dean correcting them, you know, when, whenever yeah, they say their name. Yeah, but you may not necessarily know what that means. Um, I was watching that with uh, with my husband, and he didn't know anything about it. He thought that maybe Dean was a trans character, which I, I guess non-binary falls into trans, but he thought, you know, maybe um, female to male transition or something like that, you know, but uh, that's not what it was. It is a different thing. Yeah. Another thing that the show is really good at is teaching us the differing layers of this stuff. Yeah, it's a spectrum. We need more words. It's not binary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Ben's speech was fantastic. I mean, so yeah. So yeah, I'm sorry. I I I, I, and I apologize to uh, the actors too. I said I'm going to gush a little bit, and I tried to do it off mic for the most part to have you know people not have to endure me just going a little bit overboard. But hell, it's my podcast, and I'm going to be effusive. Damn it! And I'm effusive about this episode. <laughs> <laughs> if you enjoy something, say it. I do. I did, and uh, I, I yeah. Yeah, it's still, I'm thinking about it. I watched it this afternoon right before we got on mic and it still affected me. I was just like, oh, this is so good. So, yeah, I was uh, watching this twice so that I could really like get the details down. And uh, the second time around, my cat, uh, also named Ziggy, uh, was watching it. (laughs) (laughs) And she was learning some life lessons, you know? Like, she's only 11 months old. She needs to learn some stuff. Yes, yes. She's she's going to be <laughs> a very worldly cat by the time. <laughs> but maybe it's because Ian evokes Ziggy by name. Come on, Ziggy, please. Just give me something. Yeah. And then Ziggy's like, hmm? Yeah, Ziggy's Is like, that oh, me? okay. I mean, you asked. You got some food for me? <laughs> <laughs> but for all that, I mean, for all the Great Leap stuff in this one, I think that we got, for me, 
a great goofy positive turn back at the project. I mean, there are two project stories. Do we talk about the Addison Tom Ben thing first, or do we talk about the reveal at the end? I feel why don't we leave the the ending reveal for the last half of the chat? Okay. Why don't we speak to the Addison stuff here? Because I told you last week, I understand why Addison's doing this. I don't think she's doing it for the right reason. I think you were right on the money. You had it. (laughs) Boy, howdy. I don't know that there's a lot to talk about with that. I just want to give it a nod because I also like that we're getting realistic reactions built into this stuff. And you could tell that Addison, anyway, I could, was was kind of rushing into this to force some kind of resolution within herself. Sure. Well, they also, they intertwined uh, Sarah's revelation with yep. what Addison was feeling. So it helped bring those stories together as well. Yeah. And thank you for, for pointing that out, because I thought that Sarah's revelation was almost as effective as Dean's revelation, because it's two sides of the same coin, right? It's it's people who are not feeling that they are seen for who they are, playing a part for the benefit of others. And I think it was Dean's revelation and, and Dean's discussion that helped Sarah come to the realization that she needs to change her own life. She needed to figure out who she was and make herself whole before trying to fill it in with other people and the expectations that people have for her. Right. And so, I mean, it was a neat way to dovetail with the Addison stuff here because Caitlin didn't get a lot to do this episode to say, you know, go this way in this tunnel or, but she had a lot of looks and it was always like the reaction wasn't from Ben. The reaction was Addison reacting to everything that was going on in the leap. But I don't know that we've ever seen it so pointed on the show before, that just about everything that's going on is speaking directly to a dilemma that the hologram is facing. I'm thinking maybe maybe MIA? They've had, I mean, they've had a lot of uh, things on the leaps that are related to or similar themes to what's going on with Addison or Addison and Ben. Uh, And I, I feel like they've done this on the show before where it's like, they're talking about one thing, but they're also talking about this. And you can tell by their looks that they're feeling this in the moment. Yeah, I liked uh, some of the things with Addison on the leap in this episode because she wasn't hanging around the whole time not doing anything, which is, I think, bad use of Addison. I don't like her just being in a scene to be there. But I like that she had some happy moments, too, even though she was conflicted because she had to tell Ben about uh, getting married, but she was also happy because she was getting married. So she had a lot of stuff going on in her life. But she was also like, I liked when she was feeling the moment, like there was the Shawshank Redemption joke that they threw in there. Shawshank Redemption? You were such a nerd. Or when she's like, oh, well, it would be easier to get the treasure than to get this family together. And she smiles like, I like I like a happy Addison. It's nice seeing her happy and interacting with Ben in some way that isn't just angst mixed in with that. Maybe that's the distinction. Thanks for helping me figure that out. Because a lot of the looks that she gave in this one were pointed. They, it was like it was so much more focused, I think, than we've seen before. It's It's been woven together a little bit more. And some of the themes were overlapping. So you could tell that they were talking not just about the leap, but about what was going on back at the project. And they got better at that as the show went on. This one just seemed to be really obvious about it. So maybe that's why I noticed it more in this episode, because there were just some beats where you see Addison's face crumble or something like that. Well, you know what was nice about it? 
there was a lot of stuff going on with Addison in the episode. You could see on her face without her actually saying it. And it was so nice that she didn't have to have a scene at the project saying it. We didn't have a scene where she sat and talked with magic about all that she was feeling at the moment. We saw what she was feeling. We saw her conflict. We saw um, the bittersweet emotions. Uh, we saw her changing her mind. And she didn't have to say it for you to get what was happening. Good point. Yeah. All right. And maybe I'm, I'm used to being a little bit more spoon-fed. They were spoon-feeding like they always do, but just in a much different way. I mean, she said it to Tom, you know, she said it to Tom what her reasoning was, but it wasn't like she just sat down to discuss it. She was acting on it in the moment. The story was happening. It wasn't just the characters discussing the story. Yeah. And I kind of like that scene uh, between her and Tom because we finally see Tom's facade slip just a little bit. Look, uh, you don't have Jen has this bare room. No, no, no. So, I, I need to head back to D.C. No, anyway, so. Tom, you really don't. No, no, I think I do. Tommy boy. <laughs> Wasn't that great to little see him? handsome Tommy Westfall was like, uh-uh. Uh, he was a little pissed. <laughs> he was a little mad. <laughs> but then, of course, he becomes the greatest guy in the world again because he backpedals and he says, no, 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 this is my fault. I knew I was rushing you. I knew it. I don't think they were trying to make him Mr. Perfect anymore. It was kind of nice to see him not be Mr. Perfect. But you get where he's coming from. It's not like he's undeservedly angry. Because you would be really pissed in that situation. But I guess he was kind of blaming himself a little bit for saying, you know, let's get married right away. And and she was feeling like, you know, oh, well, I planned one wedding. Maybe this is good for me. She's trying to fill in this space that was left when, when Ben, when she thought that he was dead. So she's coming to this realization that she's using Tom to fill that space. Yeah. And um, I think we all saw that plainly. In the last episode. Anyway, I did. I called it. <clears throat> you know what? I, I, it could have gone either way, but you know what? I was wrong. You were right. <laughs> Thank you. That's all I'm fishing for. I was right. I was right. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I mean, yeah, it could have gone either way. I think that that's the strength, too, of the way they set this up. I think that whatever decision Addison came to, I think it could have worked in the context of what we've seen before in the script. So I just happened to like this one better because it was the way I was feeling. But I think that had they gotten married and decided to live happily ever after, I think I could buy that just as easily. Yeah, like she's allowed to move forward with her life, but it has to be for the right reasons. So what is this telling us? Is is this sort of uh, like a hint that she wants to get back together with Ben despite all the Hannah stuff? Is she just confused? Do you think that she's actually falling for Ben again? I think she probably will get back together with Ben. I don't know where that leaves Tom. Uh, if Tom's not Addison's fiancé, boyfriend, etc., I don't know how interesting he is to me, to be honest. But we'll see. They might change some stuff. Yeah, yeah. They, there was a way that things might change. We can get into that, too. Maybe that's the real end of the discussion because there's some speculation there. But, I mean, we, we, we have to talk about the giant reveal back at the project, despite what we know that, I guess, you know, obviously Tom's out of the picture for the time being. Just in time for Sarek to come on the scene and take over the project. Oh, did he play Sarek? Yeah, it's James Frain. <laughs> Gideon Rich. <laughs> I didn't recognize him without the ears, I guess. <laughs> yeah, he plays Sarek in Disco. So just to go back, you and I had caught up on the evil chip plot line last week. We hadn't discussed it before. Obviously, we hadn't discussed anything. And um, 
I told you how much that plot line had annoyed me as it was unfolding in the first half of the season. Uh, it just aggravated me a little bit. But man, if you're going to bring it back, the way that they brought it back was so goofy and so much fun. And I just could not. <laughs> burp, burp, burp. <laughs> this guy just sashays into a top secret government project. And all I could hear, I right. could see you shaking your fist and saying, where is Jen? <laughs> Yeah, I w- that was exactly what I was going to say. Jen has failed at security once again. What is she doing all episode? She's gossiping with Ian about what's going on on the leap or what's going on with Addison and Tom. What does she do at this project? She's like, oh, I planted some some bird seeds or seeds or whatever at the dark web. I left breadcrumbs all across the dark web. The dark web mentioned again. But I'm like, what is going on? You, sh- she should at least be looking at who's going into the project or right? not. You think she would have a staff that would, you know, warn her. She has so little to that do. That somebody's and coming. something security happens, <laughs> she's never doing security or she's bungling it. What are they doing? It's like, why are they writing her this way? You think that there is like a guard or like some kind of secretary at least at the at wherever you walk into the project. And I know this guy's supposed to be government connected and you know all the the nsa goes to him for encoding even stuff. if he yeah even if he was allowed in she should be looking at every person coming into there even if he's like, allowed as in, the security. exactly she should have some staff that gives them some warning hey this guy is coming he might have the credentials but he's barging right down yeah she should have some uh, some red shirts or yellow shirts or whatever that are part of her team or even maybe someone just text her yeah. <laughs> you know hey heads up Heads up, yeah. But then they couldn't have the... the, She shouldn't have been in that scene if they were going to have that reveal. Then they could have been like, oh, she had to let him in or whatever if they were going to have that surprise reveal. Because I... I, Jen shouldn't be security anymore. I don't think we need to see security all the time. And it just makes her look like a a bumbling dummy sometimes. So I I think they need to give Jen a new job. I understand they want to do that scene of him just sashaying in for the drama of it. Yeah, but don't have Jen in that scene because it looks like she wasn't paying attention. Exactly. It's just like, yeah, I, one uh, uh, interesting. <laughs> it, she's just sitting there like drinking coffee or whatever, like gossiping with Ian, which seems like the last couple episodes, that's all she's been doing. It's like, surely she has a function of this project. <laughs> well, it's, it's obviously not to monitor potential intruders. I don't know. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, Ian's partner, Rachel, comes in. <laughs> I did like Ian calling her up and like, hey, what do you think of this riddle? And then she's like, I don't have time for this. <laughs> it's like, shut <laughs> like, up, Can you, you imagine? Like, hey, what do you think of this? <laughs> is, this is fun, isn't it? An adventure. And like, um, <laughs> my boss knows. Our whole world is coming crashing down. Yeah, I was wondering. And I asked last time, too. I was like, is this chip thing done or is it going somewhere? So I guess, you know, that this answers my question. Something's happening with it. Uh, creepy evil Sarek is like, hello. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> in his in his Chuck Taylors, which uh, <laughs> are they just trying to like just like broadcast that he's a douchebag? Uh, I, just just in. Oh yeah, in, yeah. He's got the douchey vibes. He comes the vibes, in like he's got hey, the, the suit up, and the sneakers. And I'm the, a villain. <laughs> right, and just like, hey, I'm everybody's friend. Hey, Ian, don't worry about it. Water what bridge. Up? Ugh, awful. <laughs> We're family. <laughs> What was uh? What was anyone else doing? Like, what was Magic doing? Magic should have been on this, maybe. If Jen wasn't, someone had to let him in. 
I, I again, I don't know. Jen should be point on that stuff. So yeah, that's a good point about magic because he's in the beginning about you know the whole wedding thing. Hey, we're gonna get married today or whatever, and he's like, hey, great, and then oh, Ben just popped in. Okay, I guess we should go see where Ben is and what he's doing, and then magic's gone, like no magic at all. He didn't know what to do when he didn't have a heart to heart, so he's out. I guess maybe he got inspired. Maybe he ran out to propose to Beth. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> you think Beth and Magic are, are going to tie the knot? Why not? What's going to happen with them? I'm invested in their relationship more than Addison and Tom. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? But I do like that Ian was like, ah, I, uh, my love language is planning weddings. Yeah, <laughs> Ian was just stoked about this wedding. So maybe Magic will give uh, them what they want in that regard. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that we like the Magic and Beth relationship because we just like to see legacy characters, some that we know, some that we barely know, be happy. And yeah. uh, it's also nice to see Susan on on any time. So maybe they'll have a double wedding. Maybe it'll be a double wedding. Maybe uh, they'll have a proxy a for wedding. Ben. It'll be like when Richie got married to Lori <laughs> Beth on Happy Days and Fonzie had to stand in as a proxy because Richie was in Antarctica or something. So they'll have, <laughs> they'll have somebody stand in for Ben because Ben is going to be somewhere in time. And uh, Magic and Beth will be there as well. And uh, Ian will officiate. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't Ian know. Ian got ordained by Ziggy. And then... Right, right. <laughs> and then when they say, if anybody uh, wishes to speak up against this union, speak now forever, hold your peace, Ziggy will finally, Deborah will pop in as Ziggy and say, I object. And that will be like the season oh finale. Oh, my God. <laughs> And then, like, takes off uh, her mask, and then it's Gideon underneath. (laughs) (laughs) Gideon's here to ruin this wedding. Uh, But I like the point you made about a happy couple, a couple being happy together. Because so much uh, uh, romantic stuff in television and movies in general focuses on the, the angst of it. Yeah. You know, when it's not new, it's them getting together. But then once they're together, how do we break them apart? You know, I like seeing couples or characters that like each other, that are working together, that have a chemistry. And it doesn't necessarily have to be about the drama between them. Sometimes it's nice just to see them like each other. I really enjoyed Addison and Ben in the uh, Salvation or Bust, the cowboy episode way back when, because this was right after Ben remembered Addison. And both of them are just like gooey-eyed in love, talking about their dates, talking about things they like. And it was just a nice chemistry there. I really enjoyed that. Mm, mm. And I think that they tried to give us some of that finally with Addison and Tom outside of the project when she finds the ring. Um, I, I don't remember who we were speaking to about it, but they said something like, we probably should have put scenes like this into the season earlier. In retrospect, once they saw how well it worked to just see them exist as a couple and be happy together. Yeah, well, you should know why they like each other to yeah. care about this, right? Yeah, and so probably we should have done this a little bit earlier, was was the lament. And I, I honestly, I can't remember. Um, if you're listening out there and you're part of the show, but it was you that said it, agreed, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> because it does, it, it's just so much more, again, organic. Yeah, just show us why characters like each other. Don't have them say Addison and Tom are dating and they love each other. Show why they love each other, and then you care about this quadrangle that they have going on you care about tom's feelings being hurt rather than like well i guess addison's gonna get back to- together with ben now <laughs> I, yeah. guess that's done. <laughs> I don't know where they're going with that they, they may change their mind but you know it, it just feels like it, you care more if you're invested 
in these relationships rather than them telling you they should show you. Mm, mm. Now, do you feel uh, invested in this this Gideon plot now that we finally have some kind of reveal? Obviously, I'm, I might have been right about the Addison thing. I was completely wrong about Gideon being Lothos or anyway, um, it hasn't been revealed as such yet. I mean, it, it could be that he's working on a supercomputer that he's going to call Lothos. I don't know. Do you mean Lothos as in like he's literally going to be involved with Lothos or like a Lothos equivalent? No, I think literally involved with Lothos because the oh, evil leapers no. were from like no 2020. Chance no. no chance in hell. <laughs> Sorry, but, it won't be Lothos. <laughs> I, I know. I, I, a man can dream, can he? <laughs> I hate to be a downer again. No, it won't be. A fan can fanboy, can he? <laughs> It'd be pretty cool, but it won't happen. Yeah, I, I don't um, think so. No, I, I don't know. It, it, we'll see where it goes. Uh, I, I kind of laughed, but I'm not as invested in the project plot. So we'll see. How it goes. Yeah, I, I feel like this made me laugh in a goofy way, and um, I'm happy to see where it goes. I'm not aggravated by it, which is the main thing. Sure. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it wasn't annoying. It was just like, that happened, I guess. <laughs> and at least if you're going to get a, a villain in there, you know, you can uh, literally almost see him twirling his mustache. He just yeah, has to grow I, you one. You know what? <laughs> I enjoyed that that he, he was hammy with it because right. I, I want to be interested in what's going on. I don't want to be bored, and I wasn't bored by him, so... Do you have any kind of speculation with this stuff? Because I don't think I really do. I'm just going to let it unfold. Yeah, no, I don't have any speculation about it. I don't know where they're going with it, but I think that's fine. I don't want to be able to predict where it's going. I don't really know what what they're doing with it, but I'm glad they're doing something. Because yeah. I thought the chip plot was done because it had been gone for a while. But at the same time, I don't want it to go back to season one where there's just a bunch of tiny nothing scenes at the project to like let you know the plot's still happening but nothing's really happening with it well i'm glad to see the timing on this though um bodes well because they have three episodes left so if something's yeah, gonna happen got, at I the project they, 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 they can't spin their wheels <laughs> it's gotta happen you know and, and that's good though it's good that they're coming back to it but it wasn't dominating the rest yeah. of the season so right they're saving it for an end of the season reveal. Maybe it'll be a cliffhanger. Maybe it'll be, I, who knows? Who knows? Because we have a complete other thing that we need to speculate about in this episode that might dovetail in with all of this as these next ones unfold. It's Ben writing that letter. Right. Yeah. He wrote a letter to Hannah and left it with Sarah saying to send it in 1970 something to save Josh. Right. So I, here's the first thing that I, I thought of when I saw that letter. I said, well, first I thought of uh, Back to the Future. Then I thought of the leap back. <laughs> and then I thought, well, if he's sending the letter, how come Hannah doesn't know already? But then I realized that he said to send it after a certain date in 1970. So he's cognizant of maintaining the timeline and not creating a paradox because I guess he's telling her to mail it anytime after his leap there that we just saw off the cuff. Yeah, well, he wouldn't know to send the letter unless it had happened. So it'd be kind of a, it wouldn't have already been there because no, he, you're, I, I don't know. You're I not guess thinking, you're not thinking saw, fourth dimensional. Maybe if he saw it, he'd be like, oh, I sent this. I need to send this or whatever. But then like, why wouldn't he just tell her then? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, well, that's the thing. It doesn't interfere with the timeline that we've already established. Otherwise, All it right. would have been there the entire time, right? <laughs> yeah. And he, he would say, well, maybe I'm, I'm going to send this, obviously. You know, I haven't done it yet, but. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I know you were saying last week, like, you thought Josh was going to be around. And I said, I think Josh is a goner. You think, like, this letter means that he's going to be saved now? I don't know about saved. I mean, 
if you save Josh, Hannah lives happily ever after, and maybe they're setting that up so that Ben and Addison can live happily ever after, so Hannah has her a happy ending too. But, but Ben and Hannah can never have a happily ever after. I, I know, they and that's what like, I wanted the show like to figure a, you know, out a way to have, have our cake and eat it too, you know? I, I <laughs> they understand. Can't have, I mean, even if Addison and Ben didn't get back together, like, Ben and Hannah, like, what are you going to do? Like, see each other throughout time forever at different points in time? Like, that's incredibly tragic, but unrealistic, and I think not very fair to, to Hannah, who lives linearly and needs to have a life. Understood. I just thought that there might be a neat way where they, they figured a way around, you know, that obvious fact that you just stated so eloquently. <laughs> yeah, maybe if he got together with old Hannah, if she was still around in the present day, maybe. Which is nothing wrong with that, but I just don't see that, that being where the show goes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless this was going to be the end of the show and they decided that they wanted Ben and Hannah to live happily ever after and Addison and Tom to live happily ever after and then we'll never hear from these characters again, but you know that they're all in this great place. That's the only way I could see it maybe veering in that direction, but this does not make for, you know, longevity in in TV seasons for drama. So, yeah, obviously Ben and Hannah are not meant to be, but I want them to be meant to be because I feel like there's such good chemistry there and I like the character. I like Hannah. I like her a lot. So Yeah, I think like it's nice that you feel invested in them as a couple because there is that tragedy to it but there's also that adventure and that excitement whenever she sees him you get why these characters like each other why they bounce off of each other they're very happy when they see each other so like even though i don't think they're gonna end up together i still think like they're good together as characters yeah and I guess, and this comes back to points that I've made before, I just feel like there's so much more chemistry between Ben and Hannah because there's a recognizable common interest there. So there's a basis for a relationship that could grow into something more, whereas Addison and Ben are so totally different. I still wonder what it is about the other that they find intriguing. And I know that, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be common interests. My wife and I have vastly different interests, but we love each other. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to do, I just think in a dramatic sense, the Hannah Ben stuff just jives a lot better for me. I just, I just feel a connection there where I still sometimes struggle to feel a real connection between Ben and Addison beyond the, the hologram leaper dynamic, even though I know we spent the, an entire season of him trying to rescue their relationship and a big chunk of this right. season of them talking about the end of that relationship, which I thought was great. But now that we're back here, you know, I feel like I, I still have that same base problem. Yeah, well, part of that is because so much of Addison and Ben's relationship is the angst. It's the angst of being apart. It's the angst of, are they moving on or, or are they staying together or whatever? Like, I, we don't see a lot of them as a couple. And I think you could do that with them as hologram and leaper. I, I think even though they're apart, there's more to a relationship than physicality. And I think they tried sometimes. They would have them, like, hold hands. They would do that a lot in the first season, have them, like, hold hands through the hologram, whatever. But I feel like you see more of Hannah and Ben enjoying each other's company, working off of each other, not just, let's say, information and get the mission done kind of thing. I feel like that happens with Addison and Ben a lot. They'll spend a lot of scenes together, but Addison is is not really providing anything. Like, she's she's there, but it's not enriching the scene in any way but i think like that's like that's when it doesn't work i do think they have times when it does work but i think that's why the stuff with hannah 
feels more organic and it feels like you've seen them more as a couple versus being sad that they're not together. Mm, that's a good point. Maybe, you know, as the show goes on, if they get their third season, let's hope, and they reinvent the Addison-Ben relationship, if they go that way, I would love to see them bring more of that Ben-Hannah dynamic into it. Yeah. And like you said, maybe it's just it's just that way they're engaged in each other and popping off one another. Yeah. Um, it, this is something I didn't think about last time we were talking about Hannah and Ben together, but I, I feel like I should mention it. You know, I said I liked this better than the stuff in Trilogy because there was that consent, but I wasn't thinking about it because it's so confusing how they do it in this particular iteration. But um, the guy or the girl or whoever that Ben happens to leap into they're there too, and they're not consenting. So, what that about? Hmm. That's the other. Wow. Now that you say it, sure. Um. Problematic hashtag. <laughs> this is this has been going on with Quantum Leap forever, so it's yeah. not new. But I guess I should acknowledge that it's nice that Hannah knows, but because it's not just Ben's body, it's. Uh, him and another person entangled or however the fuck it's supposed to work in this one. Uh, it's both of them or something. I don't know. But it feels like they introduced something else only to create another problem. Yeah, you're right. Because that problem would have been solved had there been a visitor in the waiting room. Had there been a waiting room. <laughs> but Had there been a, a waiting room. Yeah, yeah. But it's just a different side of the same coin. It's like, wow. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Never, I, hadn't, I hadn't considered that. But hmm. I don't know. Food for thought, I guess. <laughs> right, right. I, yeah. And what would that guy, um, again, Allison, what, what's his, Mark Allison, whatever, the, the, the guy, the Egypt guy, the secret yeah, agent. Yeah, like the, specifically the guy that Ben used his body, both their bodies, whatever, to sleep with Hannah. I don't know. Right, right. That's him. I mean, I guess is he supposed to be partially there or whatever, but I just, I don't buy that. <laughs> Do we speculate that Hannah's son is Ben's son? I mean, it could work out that way. So where does that leave Michael Allison? Yeah, but if they're if it's both their bodies, then it's his son too, right? Exactly. That's what I mean. So it's just like that they, they don't have a say. Like, do they even know? Yeah. Then it's just it's just as icky as trilogy. I'm yeah, sorry. It is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need we need to work this out. What it, what is the logic of any of this? What is how does any of this work? When we talk to Drew again or we talk to Dean again, this will be question one. <laughs> how, All do, right. how do you reconcile that? Or they might just say, don't look, don't look over there. Look the, over here. The, There's something shiny over yes here. They said yes to the nudge. So they said yes to everything. There you go. Ooh, look, a pyramid. Ooh, That's not there. consent. You can change your mind at any time. You can't. You can't. Just because you consented to one thing doesn't mean you consent to everything. Well, who knows? Maybe they will address it at some point. I don't know. Yeah. If they don't, it's okay. I don't think this relationship's going to pan out so, so i don't know <laughs> but i guess it's i guess it's worth acknowledging and maybe, maybe that sort of maybe takes us back to the letter um do we have an idea or any speculation about what kind of ripples this might cause because i would say like oh is this going to reset something but if he sends it at a point after events that we've already seen there's nothing to retcon if he had sent it to a point before events that we had already seen then we could see how a history that we thought we were familiar with might play out differently. Oh, you mean like, do, would it affect anything like in their lives? Right. He ju he just sent the letter to shortly after he had he had leaped in, right? 
I think he sent the letter shortly after he had leapt out. So for Hannah, it's a contiguous process. So right, right. I guess technically they've always been living in this future where Ben sent the letter, but that's not how Quantum Leap works either. So I always get, you know, the time travel is different on this show, and I have to remember that the, the show is predicated yeah. on changing stuff. Yeah, not that every it all fits week, together in the end. Every week, every ben week they leaps do in that and changes right? someone's life uh, and changes history for the better. Gets rid of no noses, kids, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's. <laughs> I think it's supposed to work like it, it works any time on the show. Like you know, he sent the letter after he leapt out, so it wouldn't have really changed that. But it may have ripples in the future at the project if, say, Hannah's kids or grandkids or herself or whatever interacts with them in some way maybe it changes that but what if gideon whips out the letter oh dun 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 (laughs) yeah i don't know i don't know i'm just i'm curious to know where where they go with that if they do anything with that other than make it just a means to an end like oh now hannah knows and that's it i feel like they wouldn't do it in this fashion if it didn't mean something they probably would have had him warn them at the end of the last episode like why just draw it out to that yeah and well yeah you're right and so i'm just trying to figure out what the bigger time travel ramifications might be so i i I, but i guess maybe we're both in agreement that we're going to see some kind of ramification other than the fact that now hannah knows maybe yeah i think there is going to be something in the future that something related to her that changes things maybe gideon is her grandkid or kid or whatever i don't i can't do math but (laughs) (laughs) maybe like he's related to her in some way yeah (laughs) yeah all right well i mean i guess it remains to be seen so yeah we could speculate about this all afternoon but uh hey we're not here to talk about that per se we're here to talk about the family treasure uh is there anything uh, that we have left unturned in this episode any shamrock We've left unturned, Allison Pregler. <laughs> uh, I just, uh, I kind of wondered about the lawyer character in this episode. Played so the by one that the was... great Dan Bacadal. Bacadal, I don't know, but he, I love that guy. He's he's so good in everything. But anyway. Oh, yeah? I, I don't recognize him, but maybe I've seen him in something. Um, I know that he was in Veep. I didn't watch Veep, but he was in a oh, Jim okay. Jeffries show. And I forget what the name of the Jim Jeffries show it was on FX. And he was uh, one of the main characters on that. And I thought he was terrific in that. Nice. So anyway. Yeah, his uh, his character. So he was partners with their uh, father, like business partners or something. Yeah. Or yeah. a friend of his. I think maybe they said he was his friend. But either way, he'd known him a long time. And uh, so he knew that there was a, a map and uh, he wanted to get this treasure for himself. So Ben has this line where he said, um, You knocked that ship out of my hand knowing it would break. Why did he do that if he knew the map was there? Why didn't he just take it? I think he was setting it up so that the children could lead them there to it uh, because they still had to crack the code. They still had to decode the riddles and who better than the family to understand what the father might be saying. Family. We're family. Okay. So he, he was like, they're smart enough to figure this out and then I'll take the treasure for myself. Yeah. We'll swoop in at the 11th hour and, and, and steal it all, which they tried to do. Right, yeah. He teamed up with... Uh, with Handsome McHanson Boy. I, I called him Senor Guapo. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was like, Senor, Senor Guapo. Guapo. <laughs> much better. Much better. 
that guy's super handsome. Yeah. And you're like, mm, don't trust that guy. He is way, wow, he is like Tom Handsome. Get away, get away. Oh, quick. yeah, super handsome. Keep an eye on that satchel. <laughs> How hard is it to watch a satchel? That was like a because show moment. It was so silly. Well, it's it's a typical adventure kind of thing. She reminded me, uh, Sarah reminded me of, uh, you were talking about Temple of Doom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who is the, the love interest in that one? Billy, Kate Capshaw. Yeah, reminded me of her, you know, the kind of like uh, prissy girly type who's not meant to be on this kind of adventure at all. You know, she's like, they're like, what'd you pack in your bags? She's like, oh, makeup, uh, some formal wear in case we need to go. You know, they're in the middle of like the desert <laughs> in this <laughs> crappy little town. And it's just like, you know, in case we get need formal wear for anything. Yeah, you know, manners make the man. So... Or the housewife, as this case may be. So, yeah, she was trying to get with Senor Guapo. He was flirting with her. He got her with the uh, the picture on the wall thing, even though he was kind of insulting them with that. Right? He's like, "So many adventurers come here looking for this thing. We got a big wall of pictures of all these losers, losers. come here looking for this, <laughs> looking for this treasure. You could be on the wall too." And she's like, "Oh me? Oh, oh me? I could be a loser." <laughs> I could be a loser, too. Do you think I'm pretty? <laughs> <laughs> also, I didn't know people in the 50s. This was, according to the press release, 1953. But I, I don't know if they said in the episode uh, specifically the year. But that's what it said in the press release. I didn't know that they knew what the term badass meant. You look badass. But I looked it up, and it did originate in the 50s. But badass in the 50s was an insult. It means, like, you're an idiot bully or whatever. And it was one of those words that kind of changed meaning and got reclaimed. Ah. So I think Ben was really insulting Dean, but Dean <laughs> seemed to take it okay. Yeah, well, maybe, I, I don't know. I Maybe we were watching it through the Universal Cultural Translator. So Ben yeah. didn't say badass, but he, he said, oh, uh, yeah. you're swell. And yeah, uh, he said, you're the bee's knees. You're the, bee's, you're you're the, the cat's the, meow. You're the cat's ass. <laughs> <laughs> and then Dean's like, hmm, I like that. <laughs> uh, it always comes back to cats. Um, for Alison Prickler. Um, I think that uh, those were predictable, but still enjoyable twists. And maybe it's because it's just you want when you're in these this genre, certain tropes and certain formulas to be followed. And you saw that coming a mile away, but still I thought it was fun and effective. I like the cave in. I like the fact that the lawyer just shoots that guy dead. Oh yeah. That you got to kill the underling once you've got there. He's senior guapo's done for. And uh, I like that they did all of the like tropes where it's like, you know, they find the empty box and you know, the uh, the box is going to be empty. And it's like the real treasure was you know, your family or whatever. It's with family. And then it turns out in the end, uh, the treasure's at home. They get the treasure anyway. And I love that. I'm like, oh, they got rich. They found the treasure. They got to have their cake and eat it too. That dad, he was so crafty. Oh, yeah. Well, and the dad also got a lot of people, he got a lot of people killed doing this. Yes. <laughs> including <laughs> including his family, almost. Yeah, his family almost died. People were, were murdered for this thing that was just in the house. I don't know. But he's like, the adventure will bring them together. And they had like no money, no nothing. They're living on scraps. He had found all of this treasure and decided to hide it in a wall 
Like, what? Well, he was like, you know, the treasure didn't really matter. I wasted my life on it. Uh, and so when I could have spent my time with my family, but also here, have some treasure. <laughs> exactly. You know how the treasure would have mattered if you brought it home and enriched the family with it and said, look, I wasn't wasting my time. <laughs> yeah. He, but he was like, no, I have to create an elaborate <laughs> treasure map riddle for, for them. With a bunch of puns. I'm sure they're going to do it and solve it and figure it out and find the false bottom and come home and not get killed and understand that I meant it was behind the picture. And it was it was it was very narratively wonky. I think that's the point we're making here. (laughs) Uh, I enjoyed it, though. Yeah, but that's at the same time. I really enjoyed it. But it's just don't look too close. Don't look too close. (laughs) So. Anyway, anyway, so thank you for bringing that up because I had that on my mind too, if you know, but again, it doesn't detract from the episode and I guess maybe I'll do some final thoughts if you don't mind. Sure. For all the goofy stuff and for all of the light tropes, as you call them, that we saw, it's nothing we haven't seen before, but it was done in such an effective way that I was swept up in maybe some nostalgia, maybe in some genuine concern for the characters and just this this sense of grand adventure, which I'm liking a lot in the second season of Quantum Leap. But none of it would have meant a damn had it not been for the solid character grounding of this episode. And I think that that turned what I would have considered a highlight of this season, an enjoyable adventure highlight to something that is now like a quantum leap all-timer to me. Like, I feel like this episode will stand up in the annals of quantum leap as old show or new show, an example of what makes really good quantum leap. I I, I can't speak highly enough of this episode. It's fun on almost every level. And then it has that, that, that big beating heart at the center to make you care about all of it when all is said and done. So good job, Shakina. Good job, Jude. Good job, everybody involved in this one. Allison, what what are your final thoughts on The Family Treasure? Yeah, it was a great episode. I enjoyed the adventure. I enjoyed that it had that heart to it because that's really what Quantum Leap's all about. It's it's about something, you know? So it was great that it was dressed up in this Indiana Jones, Goonies, romancing the stone type thing. And I enjoyed myself. And I thought that Wilder Yari and Holly Behar did a great job. Yeah. So, well, I think that closes the book or folds up the treasure map on this discussion of the family treasure. But stay tuned because after the break, we'll bring you our interview with Wilder Yari. The QLP is brought to you by listeners like you. Please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast and give as much as you can. For as little as a dollar a month, you can be a contributor to the quantum leap podcast. It goes to covering our server cost and helps keep the podcast going. Thank you. If you are trans and experiencing a crisis, or you know someone who is, please call Trans Lifeline at 877-565-8860 or visit translifeline.org for help. That number again is 877-565-8860 or visit translifeline.org for help. Hi, I'm Jocelyn Aguilera, and you're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Hey, Allison, um, we're back. You know, we we were talking about uh, the empty box scene, right? When, mm-hmm. yeah, um, they had that whole set piece with the flood and the river coming down. Was I the only one that thought of uh, Fellowship of the Ring 
when all that water started coming around the corner. <laughs> uh, you were. It's, I haven't seen Fellowship of the Ring since it came out in theaters. <laughs> but but I like that scene. I like they had the flood. Wa- it was a good action piece. You know, yeah. them hiding behind the rock and then the actors or their stunt doubles just getting doused. And then like their celebration at the end where they're like holding the box and Ben's like, yeah, I got the box. And they're soaking wet. <laughs> yeah. Real fun. So Wilder, I believe, discusses that in, in this interview. I might be conflating it with the interview we did with Holly because we spoke to them back to back almost. So it's all blending in my head. But Wilder, I think, does address it here. So you'll hear that. If you don't, and I broke my promise to you, go watch Holly on the YouTube channel. Anyway, without further ado, here is our interview with Wilder Yari. Hello, Leapers, and welcome back to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Albie. I'm here with Chris today, and we are so fortunate to have with us Wilder Yari. How you doing? Hey, I'm great. How you doing, Albie? Also, Chris. Good. (laughs) (laughs) They play Dean on The Family Treasure. So very, very excited to have you. Main main guest star. And uh, I want we want to know everything about the episode and the filming. But first, we want to know a little bit more about you. Um. One of one of the things I was curious is uh, like, how did you get started in in the business? Like, what made you want to be an actor? Oh man, great question. Um, I I've thought about this a lot, and I think the moment I realized I wanted to be an actor was watching a behind the scenes of Robin Williams doing the genie from Aladdin. Just like watching him in the booth, I was like, that's so <laughs> cool. How do people get paid to do that? Um, yeah, and I. It was like a hobby and then I ended up going to school for it and I don't know, somewhere around like 14, 15, I was like, yeah, this is the thing I want to do forever. And I've been fortunate to get to do it and talk to cool people like you. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, So if they approach you to be the genie in in a new Aladdin. Oh my God. An an absolute, I would like... Just combust, burst into flames. I, yeah. <laughs> if you know anyone at Disney, have them call me. <laughs> you have uh, the Florida connection. You can, you can maybe facilitate that. Get on that, Albie. Get on that. Go. I'll work on it. I got people. I got people. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so uh, when did you first try it? Was it like a school play kind of thing or community theater or something? Yeah, it was, it was community theater. I would love to plug this right now, actually. Um, so there's this program in New York. I'm from Brooklyn, as we all know at this point, um, but I'm from <laughs> Brooklyn. And uh, I started uh, with this community theater program called Downtown Art. It was in, it's in the East Village and it was essentially like run by teenagers under this like one like artistic director uh, named Ryan Gillum. She's amazing. And it was like teens, like from 12 to like 18 were like running the lights, acting and stuff, building the sets, moving the sets, writing the music. Um, And it was really, really cool. It felt like this, like, um, I don't know, like, like in, in Peter Pan, like the lost boys kind of thing. It felt like that. And uh, yeah, that was like, I started doing that when I was 12 and the lead of the show like dropped out or something. And I got to be the lead. And it was in this, like we did shows out of this the out of this um, converted apartment in the East village. And I just remember being like, this is the coolest thing that has ever happened. Like, how do I do this forever? Yeah. That's a neat scene down there. Um, I've been to many little black box theaters down in the East that. village. KGB oh. bar is a, is a good yes. place to go see authors read and stuff like that. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. Such I a, think such a thriving scene. Close. Yeah. 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 
So you are a Brooklyn native. Um, how did you make the transition from, oh, man. from the coast to coast? Did you stay there for long or what was, what no, was that journey like? Easy, easy. So my, my whole family is still back in New York. Uh, and I went to Emerson in Boston and then it was sort of this quite, I knew I wanted to be an actor. And the question's like, do you want to move home or do you want to try LA? And I knew that I wanted to be in film and TV anyway. So I was like, I'm not going to be back to New York for sure. So why like, why move back to New York and just stay there for the rest of my life? So yeah, I, and I was, I was really, really fortunate that um, a lot of Emer a lot of Emerson kids are film kids. So I moved out with this, like, it was like this Genesis of like 20 <laughs> kids um, that all moved to LA around the same time. So yeah, it was a nice soft landing. So how do you, how do you start out? Do you like, you obviously probably auditioning for all, everything there is. Did you get some commercial work or how did that work? Man, I, the first, okay. It's funny. Cause I said it was a nice soft landing, but it really wasn't the first year I moved to LA as a New Yorker, as a city, East coast city person. I was like, this makes no sense. I hate it here. Like crying all the time. <laughs> I, I learned how to drive like last year. I, I've been here for like, <laughs> like six years at this point. And I failed my test seven times. Like I'm yeah. Failed the driving test seven times, <laughs> like eight times the charm, I guess. Um, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a, it was a rough go of it. Uh, I was on I was submitting myself on actors access like every single day. Um, just begging anyone to represent me, uh, bounced around from like a lot of managers and agents and, Tried to do commercial work. I'm yeah, I think I did uh, just all kinds of. Oh my god! Actually, the first acting job I got in LA was this art. This is the um, like artist's piece where she was recreating um, like this Nightlines interview with Madonna, um, and I got the role of Madonna. So we had it was like I was filming these like these like. Uh, this interview that she was doing in some garage in Chinatown. And I was like 22 and I was like, oh my God, this is never going to turn around for me. Like, this is <laughs> never going to happen. <laughs> I could see that. You got that kind of vibe, that cool vibe that she had, you know, when oh, she was younger. Yeah. I appreciate you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have no idea how it ended up working out. But yeah, it was cool. It was really cool. And uh, that turned into series work. I see. I see. You did the the forty four hundred, the new version. I'm I'm very familiar with the original, not so much the new yeah. one. I can't wait to watch that. Tell oh, me about yeah. that. That was amazing. That was like my first like big gig. Um, and yeah, I, like that was such a special moment in time, um, especially because like it is it's a reimagining of the original, but it's like very queer, very people of color forward. Majority of the cast was black. Uh, the like showrunner was a black woman. There was like just gays and people of color, like coming out of the woodwork on that show. And I like, I was really lucky to be there. Also like they, uh, they kept bringing me back. I was only supposed to be there for a couple of episodes, but they kept extending my contract. So I was living in this hotel in Chicago and just sort of kept being there and getting to hang out with the writers um, many of whom I'm still like very close with to this day. And also all of the, um, the series regs, it was like a lot of their first series reg, uh, like opportunity. So a lot of them were like 22. Like, I think the youngest person was like 19 and it was this very like special moment where they were all kind of coming up together. 
Um, and it was my first gig, my first big gig as well. So yeah, I, I will always have a really special place in my heart for that time. Mm-hmm. How, how did the um, part on Quantum Leap come about? The Quantum Leap thing just happened because my, my reps were like, do you want to oh. audition for this? And I was like, yes, I would love to. <laughs> That's like a very traditional uh, kind of situation. Uh, so, so then did you audition, put yourself on tape or how did that work? Yeah. Fully audition, put myself on tape. Uh, I worked with this amazing reader, Julie Meyer. She's someone that I work with quite a bit and she's amazing. Shout out to Julie. Um, and yeah, I, I really didn't think that this was going to pan out to be honest with you. Like, it's not that I thought I like wouldn't get it, but I, it's not one of those tapes where I was like, nailed it in the bag. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I think I did okay. <laughs> if you can speak a little bit to the experience of being a non-binary actor trying to make it in Hollywood, are there like two separate Hollywoods where is there a community, I'm sure, of, of like the queer community that maybe comes together, but is there limited access for actors like you for roles in more mainstream stuff. Like, I I don't know if I have a real question there. I'm just so interested in the dynamic that you as a non-binary actor face in the community that you've devoted yourself to. I imagine that in many ways it it makes it a little bit harder for you. That's a, that's a great question. I appreciate it. Um, I would say it is really dynamic and depends person to person. Um, I would say something that is pretty difficult is, there's definitely an idea of what a non-binary actor or non-binary like role look like. Um, and I admit that I'm very much like within that sort of like androgynous, but not really leaning one way or the other. Um, so I think Hollywood is still kind of expanding its idea of what non-binary looks like on screen. And that ends up shutting out a lot of people like kind of in different places on the spectrum. Um, for instance, like I've been, been non-binary, uh, but I've been like out about it for a couple of years now. And I remember when I was first trying to audition, audition for non-binary roles, I had like long hair and looked much more feminine. And I was not getting, not getting called in, not getting called back, like zero. They definitely have an idea um, about what that looks like. And I do think that it's expanding, you know, with more representation on screen. Um, but yeah, it, I think it, it is just tough for uh, casting and for, yeah, even writers to a certain extent where they're like not really sure how to like place a lot of actors. They're like, oh, you look like a girl. So we're going to cast you in girl roles. Can, are you cool with that? And I'm fine with it. I'm playing, I'm fine playing female roles as long as they're interesting. Um, but some actors aren't. It, I think it really, it can really differ person to person. One of the things I love about Quantum Leap is it's so inclusive and it's so like, it's reflective of the real world. It's not, it's, it's, it it includes people that, you know, we all know and are, are. And uh, were you familiar with the show before you booked the role? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Because I remember uh, Mason getting cast and being really excited about that. And also uh, Chris, you're right. Like the non-binary like actor world in Hollywood is pretty small. A lot of us know each other or like know of each other. Um, so Mason and I hadn't met. We actually met on the show and they're lovely. Like, I'm sure you know this. They're one of the sweetest people uh, that I've like, definitely one of the sweetest like series regs that I've encountered on set. 
in that they went out of their way to be like, oh my gosh, I heard there's a non-binary actor. I would love to meet you. Just like, can't say enough good things. Um, I was familiar with the show because Mason got cast and I was like, quantum leap. It like rang a distant bell and I was like, oh, right. That yes. Eighties. Right. Totally. Um, definitely something that my parents are a little more familiar with. Uh, <laughs> not an original watcher. My skin is not that good, but uh, <laughs> it's getting familiar with it. I've watched some episodes and like really loved it. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, so uh, what did you think of the script when you received it? I honestly, so it's interesting because I, I'm sure you guys have heard that the script changed a lot um, between the original, uh, the original writing and what ended up getting shot, um, which is pretty. We didn't. Oh, we didn't know is. that. So explain it to us. That'd Ooh, be great. Okay. okay yeah. Of course. Because we know and love Shakina, but we want to find oh. out more. Shakina is amazing. Another person I can't say enough good things about. I know it sounds like I've been like coached to be like, everyone's so great, but really <laughs> everyone is so great. Um, yeah. So, okay. Well, originally the story was about three siblings um, and like going on this treasure, a treasure hunt for their dad, very similar to the story that you saw. Um, but yeah, originally there were three siblings and then we went as far as like, our first day, we didn't shoot anything. We came in to do photos and I, there was, it was three siblings. Um, and then during that shoot, our, one of our siblings was like feeling really sick. She's like, I don't know. I don't feel so good. Like no color in the face. Just like, um, and we were like, kind of, we're all a little worried about her. It wasn't COVID. It didn't, there weren't COVID symptoms. It was more like, uh, what's it called? Like stomach bug, maybe like just, wasn't looking so hot. And I was like, you're fine. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. And then she's like, I think I'm, I might pass out. And we were like, maybe not so. Okay. So overnight, um, those three siblings had to get written down to two. Mm. Um, especially with like, we didn't really realize this at the time, but like all of the stunts that happened, like she would have, like, she would have been in actual danger if she had, um, mm. like followed through and tried to tough it out. Um, so yeah, the, the script, changed quite a bit almost overnight and um i really got to give it up to holly she absorbed most of the lines of that other character i did like a little but mostly yeah mostly her so yeah i can't really speak to like what was it like when i first got it because very quickly it was like and we're doing something else <laughs> <laughs> so there were going to be three siblings plus ray's character so it was going to be yeah. four yeah wow yes I've oh my gosh right Yes. The, yeah. I was thinking three siblings plus Ray. Yeah. Right, right. No, but that that's to me is amazing because the three of you on the show played off each other so well and the dynamics seemed to be there um, like it was designed to be there. So right. I, I can't even imagine putting another character into the episode <laughs> that we saw. It'd be oh. interesting to read the script to see how they differentiated the fourth sibling from yeah. from the three yeah. of you that were on screen. Yeah, I think you're you're right because initially the the fourth sibling was uh written as this sort of like dreamer bookish type. Um sorry, so there was like oldest sister, which is sort of one of the one that you saw that's like very put together, she has kids, she's like stomping on the dreams. Middle sibling that Holly was supposed to play <laughs> that is kind of they yeah, this like romantic but sort of buttoned down career girl, me, and then um Nadia, who Ray played. Right. Baby sister. Baby sister. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
That's neat. We're going to ask Shakina all about that, aren't we, Alvin? Oh, oh, totally. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Totally. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you guys had um, some pretty great locations that you were shooting in. And I just want to back up a little bit and say how excited I was to see this episode just from reading the description of it. Because it seemed like uh, I said it on our last podcast. It seemed like an episode, like an episode based on like romancing the stone or an adventure movie from the eighties. Totally. And it was that and more. And um, I loved the exotic locations that you guys were able to go to or seemingly exotic anyway. Can you talk <laughs> yeah. about some of the location shooting? I'm interested in that little Mexican town. I'm also okay. interested in all of that cave work. Oh yeah, totally. Okay. So, have you guys spoken to Jude yet? No, uh, you're Sunday. the first. You're the okay. first. Okay, okay. good yeah. to know. Okay, so Jude is going to say a million times that she was so inspired by uh, the Goonies. Uh, and it's, <laughs> it comes up, like, the whole set. She was like, Goonies up! Goonies! Together! <laughs> All of these shots are so reminiscent. Um, so, yeah, exactly what you're talking about. This, like, 80s adventure movie. It was like Indiana Jones, Goonies. Um, so you're... We're right on with that. I'm glad that ended up translating. Um, so the, the little Mexican town was all the back lot at Universal. Okay. Um, wow. Except for a li- we shot a little bit in, um, my God, where like Santa Clarita, mm-hmm. way out. And then like you drove down a dirt road for like 15 minutes. And uh, that was really cool. Uh, we did some cave stuff in Santa Clarita as well. Uh, yeah, it was it was a blast. I'd never been on the Universal back lot before. Like I had... It was like, I'd never even been on a, a tour or anything, like bad, bad Angelino, but it was super <laughs> magical, especially all of the, the stunts that we ended up doing, like on the back lot. I was like, this is crazy, but like, wow, this is all just here, you know, all this and more. Hmm. Was that, that main scenes that we saw in the cave, you said you did some cave workout in Santa Clarita. Was, yes. was those the cavern scenes or was that more of a, a set uh, it was a combination. So there were some things that we did in actual, wait, I'm fully making that up. Wait, no, I'm so sorry. Okay. So yes, Santa Clarita out in the middle of nowhere. Um, the, like the little, the main street of the Mexican town that's in Santa Clarita. Um, but then like the Mexican church back lot, I think, mm-hmm. God, you guys, I'm like okay. mixing it all up and all together. But I think also like in Santa Clarita, they like built caves there were like these like caves that exist not not actual from the earth caves but like these like sets but on location and then that big main scene where we're um like we pull the stone out we have the big confrontation mm-hmm. that was fully on a stage uh, like in burbank it was really cool i you know i i had suspension of disbelief throughout the entire thing i was i was so swept up in, in so many aspects of the episode. So um, that, that really worked. I can't wait to compliment everybody, but you're the first one. So I'm going to gush. I'm going to gush first at you. Okay. Well, (laughs) (laughs) always here to absorb it. Thank you. (laughs) I really enjoyed uh, the dynamic between the different actors in this episode and the adventure feel, but in particular, I I really enjoyed your vibe, your character's vibe and uh, like energy and your voice. And, um, and I, I feel like it was almost a mini evolution of the character through the episode. And like you became the ultimate character for me when you put the leather jacket on. 
And I was just like, wow, that's like the modern day Indiana Jones or something. And I was just like, I was, I was just like swept up. Can you, can you tell me about like uh, your thoughts on the character and like what you brought to the character? Oh, wow. Uh, First of all, thank you so much for your kind words. I really, I like, I really appreciate it. Um, Wow. Thoughts on this character. It was really great to play someone that, was already who they are as a transmasculine person. Meaning in a lot of um, these narratives, these like trans or non-binary narratives, we see characters sort of like coming into their own kind of playing with, which does happen in a sense in this episode. But right when you meet Dean, like they're already, they've already got the short hair. They're already presenting in masculine clothes. They're very, their body language is very like, they're very comfortable in who they are. And when they talk to their siblings, it's not like it's clear that they don't necessarily feel shame about who they are. They're like, I'm asking you to come on board with me, but I'm not like, is it okay? If um, And I, to be honest with you, like kind of struggled with that because I was like, is this realistic? Is this like, is this accurate? And then I did some research on like gender nonconforming people throughout history because they've we've existed throughout history. And I found this amazing um, photo, this person who I can't, I can't remember right now, but their exact name, but it's this amazing photo from 1947 of these two like gender nonconforming people that looked a lot like me uh, in my costume. And this photo was them in a police precinct because they'd gotten picked up for like cross-dressing essentially. And um, it was like a whole, a little write-up about their story um, it was like a police record that they were like living together. Um, they worked in a factory where they met and were dressing in men's clothing. And like the look in their eyes was so comfortable. Like they were just like, it's so funny that you picked me up. Like there was no like fear or shame or hesitation. They were just like, I'm living my life. Like, um, and yeah, getting to do that research really uh, really encouraged me, really inspired me. I was like, right. Yes. If this person would exist, there's a world, this world in which this person existed, just how they are. Thank you for elaborating on that. And for talking about the research, because a lot of the times when I have a disconnect, when I'm watching stories that feature gay characters, non-binary characters, anyone from the queer community, really, especially in a time travel show like quantum leap, I think, okay, we've all always been here. Right. You know, it doesn't matter the era, but the representation, how it's portrayed in certain time periods, I always, it sometimes takes me out of it because I think, would totally. it really be that way? Or are we kind of looking back on the way we wanted it to be? Or is totally. it a little bit of a mix of both? So I, I guess that maybe goes to Albie's question about how you're prepared and some 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 of what you said, but it's nice to know that what we're seeing on screen is somewhat accurate. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's just, it's always, it's a lingering question I've had because the show has done so many different characters from the community that I, I, I can't help but think is, is, is is this someone who would have been this comfortable expressing themselves in that era? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally hear you and I have definitely had those same questions and I sort of feel the same way when I watch um, historical shows, but I, yeah, definitely the research. If you dig a little bit and you see all these people that were just very simply existing, it's like, wow, yeah, th- this version, this story did exist 
in these like little pockets, just maybe we don't hear about them all the time, or maybe we don't, they, it wasn't like the dominant narrative, of course. And also there definitely was a narrative, like there were norms to buck against, but um, I just think about that photo of those two people. I'm, I'm totally going to look it up just like in a second, but I think of this photo of these two people that were, and their whole story about just being who they are and not giving a damn. I was like, that person is Dean and that person existed. Those two people existed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great. Thanks for that insight. Yeah. <laughs> that is great. One of the things I love about Quantum Leap is it educates people. It educates the audience. It educates me. Uh, and uh, my mother, for example, she was born in 1936. So when she mm. first started watching this incarnation of Quantum Leap, she was familiar with the original because I've been a fan my whole life. So she okay. figured she'd try the new one. And honestly, she was confused about uh, Ian and Mason at the beginning, uh, which is understandable because she was never exposed to it. But now right. she's like the biggest fan of Ian and Mason and loves everything. So and uh, I think it's great to have these episodes that come up like let them play last season and this season just to educate people that might not be familiar or haven't looked into it or do don't have a loved one or don't know they have a loved one that might uh, fit into this community. Uh, but uh, I guess my question is. When you got the script, and especially the script, uh, uh, the part of the script about the binding and the reveal and the, the mm -hmm. talking to your sibling, um, is that true to your story or did you bring anything to it? Was there a conversation with Shakina about about how to make it more true? Because I learned a lot from that. I had no idea about that part. Oh, yeah, that is a great question. Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, so binding with bandages has not been a part of my experience because I've been fortunate enough to grow up in a time where that is sort of known not to do um, because it's like really, it's really bad for you. Uh, it compresses your lungs and can damage muscle tissue and all that. So uh, that wasn't part of my experience necessarily, but uh, it was something that Shakina and talked about quite a bit because she and the costume department were like, well, do you want to wear a binding garment. Do we can make something for you that kind of looks a different, that looks like binding. Um, and actually I was the one that was like, no, I think I, I want to bind for real. Um, not from a method perspective necessarily, but because I, first of all, the stuff that the cost department is incredible as we all know on this show, but the stuff that they made just didn't, it didn't look right. It didn't look how it was supposed to look because the point of the garment is to flatten your chest. Um, but it, it didn't, it just looked like a very nice tube top. <laughs> and I was like, this isn't really doing. Um, so yeah, I'm actually bound. Um, but this was only after Shakina, the costume department, multiple people were like, are you cool with this? Are you sure? Um, and it was, it was my decision. Um, and I will tell you from personal experience now, after a couple of days of doing that, I was like, this is absolute torture. I think I don't know how people do this. Wow. That's so bad. For you. Were you bound throughout all of your scenes for the authenticity or was it just for the scene when you were in, in the field? It was, it was just for the, the scenes in the field. Um, I initially thought about doing uh, like binding all the way through and then the garment wasn't ready necessarily. We were still sort of like tinkering with it um, because the script was changing, et cetera. So it ended up being something that we decided later. And um, I had all these stunts to do. And I was like, this is just not 
pragmatic to like be bound and be like running and ducking and hiding. And it just, yeah, I was like, there's authenticity and then there's torturing yourself, I think. So, uh, so yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> T- talk to us about the stunts. Cause it was a very stunt heavy, exciting episode oh, with the God. water and the rocks. Just yeah. take us through the whole process. Oh my God, guys. I like, I am not an athletic person. That's why I got into theater, to be honest with you. Um, like, I have, What's it called? It's not astigmatism. It's like one eye is, has, is nearsighted, one eye is farsighted, so I can't catch a ball at all. So I was like, well, I guess I'll join. I can't, no one's picking me for dodgeball. I guess I'll <laughs> hang out with the theater kids. Um, so learning that I would do stunts was really exciting and really something that I was really uh, enthusiastic to, to do. So, okay, we're in this back lot um it's this nice big like sloping hill and um i didn't know exactly what we were gonna do i didn't know how much water we would be dealing with because i'd never experienced anything like this before um but when we saw they, they did a run with our stunt doubles and watching them like run it was like gallons and gallons and gallons of water we're getting like pumped from around the corner so all of this is like rushing down and they are truly running away from it leaping over this rock hiding behind it and the water like splashes over them. So they did that first. And it's like me, Holly, Ray, just like standing behind the camera. Like, are we, that's, are we going to do that? They, they want us to do that. Um, and yes, they did. But in a, in a much more in like a slower, a little bit more controlled environment. Uh, but yeah, it, it was incredible because, so we only, got to do it like a couple of times because we were soaked to the bone and it's just, you can't go from, you can't like dry off completely reset, etc. Um, But the, there was this moment where it's me and Ray and Holly and we're going for like the, this crane shot. So the crane, the, the camera's on this crane looking dead in front of us. We're running towards it as the water rushes uh, behind us, but it's the movement of the, uh, camera is to like stay with us, stay with us, stay with us, stay with us, and then like come up and over. Um, so we're there's this moment. It's like midnight on a Friday. We're like all I might be exaggerating slightly, but midnight ish on a Friday, already soaking wet. I'm standing with these two people. There's a camera on this massive machine, like trained in front of me, and I'm looking down the lens and I have this moment like tense, waiting for Maria the AD to call water, and then we start running. That's the plan. Um, I have this moment where I'm like, this is the, the coolest job ever. This is like the coolest job in the world. Um, yeah, it, it was really fun, really exciting. After every take, we were soaking wet, absolutely freezing and like maniacally laughing, like just from the adrenaline, just like, do we really, did we really do that? We just got like pounds and pounds and pounds of water just like splashed over us. That was crazy. Yeah. The falling rocks in the cave. Uh, what they? What was that day like? Falling rocks in the cave. Okay, give me one second. Oh, way easier, you guys. <laughs> way, way easier. <laughs> all these foam rocks. <laughs> oh, but you know what was really fun? Um, that stunt. It's like a light stunt, but doing a stunt where I like dive for uh, the key at the same time as Wells, who is. I would love to take a moment to shout him out as well. Um, I was a huge, I love Veep. It's like my comfort show. And I've like, I didn't, nobody tells you who you're working with. I remember seeing him on set and being like, I love you. Oh my God. <laughs> um, but like, it was, it was too cool to tell him at the time, but 
he's truly, he was playing Wells. We were both like, I think we were both kind of diving for this. I was truly diving. He was like diving a little bit because he has bad knees and stuff. But um, <laughs> he uh, was ad-libbing these like really funny, I don't know if it actually made it into the episode yet, but there's this episode, there's this moment where um, Ray like launches towards him to try and get the key after I throw the rock and it doesn't do anything. Um, where he's like, whoa, little lady, like don't, don't run at me. Um, and we were all like giggling the whole time. But uh, that's either here or there. To the moment where I was diving for the key was, it, it was really great. And then these like foam rocks fell on me. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was really fun to like, actually kind of do the thing that you're trying to do if that makes sense most of the time when you're acting you're acting you're faking whatever emotion it really is you're holding a cup full of nothing etc but to actually actually run from gallons and gallons of water to actually die for something like you really really want it it's honestly such a like gift as an actor because it can you're just able to react organically as opposed to try to you know, find the, what if I'm trying to die? What sounds most real? What sounds like an authentic <laughs> death? Yeah. Uh, what's it like to have a stunt person on set dressed exactly like you? <laughs> so weird, you guys. It's so weird. Um, yeah. My stunt double name was Blake and yeah. You, stunt people are a different breed. They just don't, there's like something <laughs> it, like in the coolest way, their brains just function differently. Like they, they did all that crazy water stuff that I was telling you about and they just all just like got back up and they're like, shrug it off. Like nothing happened to me and Ray and Holly are all like panting and crying and just like, <laughs> I can't believe we did that. And they're like, Oh, do you want us to go again? Do you, do you want us to run again? Like it was, yeah. Um, but it's super weird. Answer your question. Cool. Uh, one thing I noticed uh, when setting up uh, these interviews for this episode was everybody on the team seems to be really close between Jude, Shakina, you, Holly. What was, what was the whole dynamic between like you and Holly on, on the oh set? Oh my God. I'm so excited. I get to talk about her first. Um, <laughs> she is amazing. Like I really, she is. Okay. So we lost our other sibling very quickly and it was very like it was her and me very quickly being like okay this is this is us now this is we're gonna take care of this together um I really it wouldn't have been as good I haven't seen it yet but acting with her felt incredible there's an enormous amount of trust that we had I think because we had all this work to do together with learning all these lines we were sort of like doing these stunts just shouldering a lot of this um together as like kind of the, uh, what's the word? Like the, the key guest members of that family. Um, so it was like us trying to navigate like quantum leap world together. Um, she is a formidable actor and yeah, I like, I can't say enough good things. We recently hung out at the season rap party and I'm like, Oh, I, I love that woman so much. <laughs> Is there anything we'd be surprised to know about the filming of the episode that we might not necessarily uh, get from watching it? Wow. That's a great question. Okay. Uh, think stuff that you wouldn't know about the episode necessarily from watching it. Uh, hmm. Oh, okay. This is, this was just weird for me to watch. Um, 
but so we're in the house, the, the, the family house we're open the, the safe and all these gems come out the way that this team just drilled, like cut into a wall of this house <laughs> so that they could put the camera in it. I was like, can you do that? Like, <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's not a stage. It's a full house on the back lot where all of these shows have been shot and movies. And I can't remember them, any of them right now, of course. Um, but yeah, they just cut straight into the wall. And I was shocked and mildly horrified. I was like, is this allowed? Um, so yeah, that happened. Oh, oh, also. So the, I'm very, very lucky, very fortunate uh, to have uh, writers and casting that care about this kind of thing, but they found out that I'm Middle Eastern uh, my mother is from Iran and they changed a lot of the story. Like they changed the ethnicity of the dad and there are all of these touches in the, I think they changed his, yeah, they changed all of our names. Um, and there are all these production touches throughout the house that were, that are Middle Eastern. Like when we're doing these um, intro scenes, it's like, the, the stuff with the uh, will reading and all that. They're all these like little touches, the tea set, the snacks. Like it was so surprising the way they just like pulled that out of like of a props house. Like, it was like so beautiful, so exact. Yeah. And I don't think you would know that <laughs> if, no. if, you, if you didn't know. Yeah. That's amazing. Like it, it's so heartwarming to hear that everyone at the production really cares about that sort of detail and not just go over there and do your line, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. It, it was like down to all of these like little tiny things. And I was like, Oh, really? Oh my God. <laughs> no, it's funny. We, we have so much to talk about and I feel like um, there is a key thing that I do want to talk about because it was basically the central part of the episode and it was the scene where you or Dean is explaining who they are. Yeah. And as I'm watching, I go from this giddy excitement of this adventure episode. And by the time you were done with that scene, I was crying. Oh. And like I said, there were so many highs and, and, and uh, feels for me in this episode. I'm trying to, con again, constrain myself from, from getting too effusive, but yeah. <laughs> I, I want to know a little bit about how that scene was directed, how it came together, uh, how much of your background you you brought to that. And because it was just so effective on every level, uh, everybody nailed it. Um, even, oh. even Mason, who's, you know, watching it back <laughs> yeah. in the cave and right. you know, they, they're not with you. You're not with them, but right. it, it all gelled perfectly. Oh, thank you. That really means a lot. Yeah. Um, well, let me think, uh, in terms of what made that scene, that scene, I really think a lot of it, uh, comes down to Jude, to be honest, Jude and Holly. Um, because they, I mean, we can, we'll talk about Shakina in a minute. And I like, that is another woman that I'm like, I owe my life to you. I love you. Um, but I was coming at it from a particular angle. Initially, I was coming at it from this, like, um, like very, uh, it was kind of what we were talking about before, like not necessarily shame, but a much more vulnerable place where I was like, please see me, please accept me. I'm asking you to do this. And Jude was like, and, and Shakina as well, were like, 
you are not really asking them. You are offering Ray and Holly a chance to be closer to you. You are giving them an opportunity to see you. And it doesn't, if they don't see it, it doesn't change who you are. Um, which was crazy. Like I was like, what? Whoa. Um, but yeah, that, I think that was really the, the key to the entire thing. Um, and yeah, honestly, I got to give it up to Holly's huge brown eyes. Like we, we have multiple scenes together where both of us just like don't intentionally just like kind of start crying or just trying to get through the damn thing. But like the binder scene where she gives me a binder and the uh, scene where I like show her the bandages, both of us were like fighting tears the whole time. So yeah, Jude, Shakina, Holly's giant brown eyes for sure. <laughs> Yeah, it was a very touching scene, very genuine, very just perfect, I think, in every way. Uh, yeah, I, I just love the way that it I, I don't I don't know. I guess you expect a little bit more like a dramatic thing, but it was just so matter of fact. It was so so straightforward. And I think that's what was the, the biggest selling point to me about the scene is that it just seemed like an organic moment. It wasn't like a bunch of hysterics totally. or, or no, you don't get me. It's like, this is who I am. Absolutely. And then I think at the, at the end, you, you were able to say, thank you for seeing me. Yeah. And that's, I just lost it. So. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, uh, you alluded to it earlier, but, uh, tell me about working with Shakina. Oh my God. Um, like, ah, okay. I met Shakina, uh, at my fitting. Uh, so it's like a, the week before. Yeah. Uh, and everyone is super nice at HQ and Burbank. Of course I'm meeting all these people. They're like, the writers would like to meet you. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Great. So <laughs> get put into a room and immediately this like six foot tall, like Amazon woman looks at me and I look at her and we're just like, Oh my God. Hi. <laughs> like, hello. We both just like, I mean, I can't speak for her, but I melted immediately. Um, it felt very like, it, it almost felt like we'd like known each other before. And I know again, it sounds like PR coaching, but really, um, <laughs> and she really like took me under her wing that whole set. She is very like maternal. I got you baby kind of energy. She made sure that my costuming was on point. She made sure that certain angles were like, I don't know how to explain this, but like, okay. Uh, she made sure that like the camera treated me the way I would want to be treated. If that makes sense. Like for instance, uh, shooting at an angle that isn't quite as low because the jeans that I was wearing in certain angles, it was like, that's a butt. That's a, that's like a <laughs> feminine figure. And she's like, you need to lift it. You need to lift the camera just like an inch. I'm telling you. Um, but stuff like that, which is like, so it's, a really strong argument, I, yeah, for why we need um, people from the stories that you're telling behind the camera. Like, I would say almost more important than in front of it. Um, she was the reason that, yeah, she helped me through that entire binder situation. Uh, she worked with me on the lines when I needed to get massaged a little bit. Um, I also give a lot of credit to her co-writer, Adrita. Um, I actually don't know if they're co-writers or if, I don't really know what the situation was there, but um, Adrita was also very, very helpful, but specifically having a trans person, a member of the community kind of on my side, like meant everything to me. Cool. And, uh, your relationship with Jude during the shoot. 
Oh man. Yeah. Jude is so cool. Jude is like a, it's like a summer camp vibe. She's so, she's a really good director though. Is like, okay. She, she sounds like someone that maybe was an actor at some point, the way that she can like, she can connect to actors on such a, she'll say stuff that I'm like, Oh my God. You're a <laughs> like she, She'll be like, can you, um, can you invite her in this scene? Can you support her? Can you, and if you're not getting it, she will give you different. She's like, paint the picture. She, she will work with you on whatever level you need to be worked with. Um, but also it's like shooting the shit with the grips. And like, I, I noticed that I, I do a little bit of directing myself and it was a really helpful, like learning moment to watch the way that she was really good at saying yes to people really good at being like, yeah, you want to do that? That's great. Yeah. I like that. Like, sure. You think of, I, at least I think of directors as being almost dictatorial or they can be. Whereas I found with her and the show moves at a really quick pace. I found with her that she had this strength in being able to bend where she needed to. So when she had to make a point, it was respected all the way around and people just did whatever the hell she like, she was like, okay, so we're going to, you're going to get like, gallons of water to the face and we were like yes ma'am absolutely <laughs> uh i have to know uh what was it like working with ray ray is a really really giving actor um especially like it you don't always get a series reg that's willing to like sit through the takes and really work with you but he was amazing he has like the kindest eyes and uh it was like we're going three, four takes. We're in caves. We're inhaling all kinds of dust. And he's like, yep, 15 take. Yep, absolutely. And it's like <laughs> really sitting with every single person he worked with. So yeah, can't say enough good things about him either, actually. <laughs> <laughs> he just seems so lovely. Uh, love that guy. Um, okay. I have one key question, uh, kind of like Chris did, but this one is who got to keep the key from, 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 from the shoot? Yeah, actually, nobody kept the key, uh, surprisingly, but I was really desperate to take a piece of this setback because it was such a wonderful experience um, that I like begged and pleaded to get to keep my cowboy hat. Um, wow. And they let me at the end, like my last uh, my last day, I came back to my trailer and there was a cowboy hat sitting on the, the little counter in my trailer with a note from costumes that was like, you've been lovely. Here's a little souvenir for you. And I like I truly screamed. Yeah. It's like, it's got the dust on it. <laughs> the thing is like, somebody was like, why don't you just like get, I was telling the actors, the PAs, I was like, I really want this hat. And they're like, why don't you just get a copy? It's like not an expensive hat. And I was like, it's got the dust on it. I want the, I want the dust. It's <laughs> cool. That is very cool. Something you can hold on to for a lifetime. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It's really about the dust, not about the hat. It's about the dust, not yeah, the hat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hashtag. We're gonna. That'll be our new T-shirt. It's about the dust, <laughs> not the hat. We'll have Wilder's hat. Yeah. It's gonna be the bestseller in our in our shop if we ever get an online shop. Totally. So, well, I mean, Wilder, we have taken far too much of your time. We always lie and say it's going to be about a half an hour, but everybody's so interesting. We just want to keep talking. But uh, yeah, um, we want to be cognizant and we want to thank you for all of the great stuff that you brought us. Um, do you have any messages for the Leapers out there before we wrap up? 
Oh my gosh, messages for the leapers. Um, thank you for making the show what it is. It was such a joy to work on, and it wouldn't be possible without all of you. And it wouldn't be possible without great actors like you. Thank you, Wilder <laughs> Yari, for appearing with us here on the Quantum Leap Podcast. Oh, you guys are the best. All right. Wilder was so much fun. They had such energy. You won't hear this, Allison, in the interview, but there are points where we ask them a question. They're like, oh, let me, let me go get this. And they just jump up. And like run across oh, the room. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was watching some of the video uh, earlier. I didn't see the whole thing yet, but I was watching some of that, and I liked their story about uh, getting into acting because of the genie in Aladdin. They yeah. saw Robin Williams <laughs> doing it, and they're like, "Man, how do you do that?" <laughs> so it was really cool. That's a fun story, and it's a fellow New Yorker, hey. Wilder. So I, I, I wish you had been in the city yesterday to see Scott Bakula with me. That would have been fun. But hey, you know, <laughs> I saw Scott Bakula in the city yesterday. I think we talked hey. about that. Hey, Wilder, thank you so much for your time here on the Quantum Leap Podcast. And I'm going to just plug again, everybody watch this interview on the YouTube channel and also our interview with Holly Bahar, with Shakina and Jude Wang, the director of the episode. Everything's over there at youtube.com slash the Quantum Leap podcast. So I have no new patrons to announce this week, Allison, but we do have some feedback. Hey, feedback. Yeah, we're hearing from people about these new episodes. Um, I want you, since you're the Twitter queen around here, I'm sorry, the, the ex-guru, whichever one you want to be called. <laughs> <laughs> Not ex-guru. Never call it ex. <laughs> but uh, you had posted about this episode on our Twitter feed. And uh, we got a message from mm, somebody that might be important. Uh, you you want to read this one? Sure. This Twitter message came from off-the-cuff writer Alex Berger. Alex Berger? Hey! Hey, Alex. Here's what he said. Thank you for the incredibly kind words about 209. It was a blast to write slash produce, but even more fun to hear the reaction of the true devotees. Extremely bittersweet, as I was so looking forward to hearing what Matt thought but I know you're honoring him by continuing to stay engaged with the show. Thanks for all you do to support us. Alex. That's such a nice message. Yeah, very nice, Alex. Thank you so much. And um, Thank you. We're happy that you're listening. It is bittersweet. I know that Matt would have been jazzed about this back half, this back five. So I would have loved him. Yeah, it's nice that, you know, we're still keeping him in mind. And um, you know, again, just the outpouring of love we appreciate. Uh, so many people yesterday, by the way, at the event gave their condolences um, again and again and again, everywhere I turned. If they knew who I was, the next thing out of their mouth was, we're so sorry to hear about Matt. So so it's there. One of those people that I met over there was uh, Karen Saxon, as I had said earlier in the show. And she also sent an email. Uh, this is before I saw her yesterday. Um, she really likes that we're back. I, I'll take this one. You want to do the, we'll do a, a paragraph each. Okay, Allison? Okay. Okay. So Karen writes, hi, Chris and Allison. I was happy to see the newest podcast out for Off the Cuff. It was nice to hear you review the new series again, Allison. I can't imagine how hard it was to get started without Matt, but you both did an excellent job, and it's a great way to honor his memory to keep going. I did enjoy the episode and couldn't help but make many connections to A Hunting We Will Go. I agree, Chris. The writer could very well have been a fan of the OG series, and I am sure the references were not by accident. I also liked the humor in it. My favorite line, 
I am an optimist, not an idiot. (laughs) That was a good one. (laughs) She wraps up, something that continues to bother me is that Addison doesn't seem to be much help as the hologram. I know that this happened a lot with Al as well. I just feel like it's more obvious in the new series. In this episode, before they start setting the trap, Hannah and Ben say, what should we do? And Addison stares down at the hand link with no suggestions. Hannah is the one that comes up with the solution. Looking forward to your future podcasts, Karen. So I know that's been an issue that you've had too. Yeah. I think like it it would be nice to see her um, doing more hologram things uh, in the leap. She could be exploring places where they can't go. She could have gone outside of that cave in and I guess she like said, I found a a spot, but you know, she was kind of doing that off screen. I don't know. It just feels like Addison sometimes is underutilized or if she's there on the leap a lot, she's not really doing anything. She's just standing there watching. And like, you know, sometimes they would have like her just talking to Ben and kind of like distracting him from things that are going on. So that was kind of the opposite of like her doing nothing is like dominating a scene. So I don't know if, how they can find a balance where she's engaged with what's going on and being useful and not feeling like Ben is being divided between two things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that uh, it goes back to what we were discussing earlier, like if and when Hannah is out of the picture, maybe some of that dynamic, that Hannah-Ben dynamic gets transferred to the Addison-Ben relationship where they seem to be much more active collaborators in what's going on. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that worked when they were doing stuff with Al as a hologram is that even if he wasn't actively helping, maybe he didn't have something helpful to say or any exposition to say, uh, he was still a good foil and a good soundboard to bounce things off of. Mm. So he would approach things very differently than Sam, and sometimes they would be debating what they were supposed to do, and they would be working together to solve whatever needed to be solved. And uh, Addison sometimes can be just very straightforward with just information. And I think it would be helpful to let maybe her personality shine a little more, let her be able to do more stuff than just information. Yeah, make her a little bit more integral to the resolution. Yeah, because sometimes she'll she'll have like a little snarky comment or something or like they'll have like a little moment, like they have the Shawshank Redemption thing. It's not like she doesn't have any personality. Yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah. just sometimes they're focused so much on that, but she's not actually even doing much that's helping. You know, it's just information. Well, you know, we'll see how they play it out as the season goes on. And um, if we have something new to look forward to, yet they said it was going to be yet another evolution in season three. So the show just seems yeah. to be growing and growing. So that role from Addison could be redefined yet again. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. And uh, I want to say to to people listening, uh, if you guys are enjoying the show, uh, make sure that you watch it uh, on Peacock or uh, watch it when it airs, uh, even if you can't catch it the night it airs, uh, because I think they have a little later of a time slot now. But uh, even when you watch it on Peacock, the numbers matter to them. And that will help them with uh, renewing it for season three, because they're still, they don't know if they're renewed yet, but they're not canceled. So yeah, they're not canceled. I don't even know that they're on the bubble, although not being renewed, is that technically on the bubble? I don't know. I mean, a lot of shows have to wait last second. So, um, but it will matter to them getting those views, even just on Peacock after the fact. They do count those. So, and a great way to do that is to watch along with our director writer commentaries. 
So you can, you hey. can watch the episode, then you can watch it again with the commentary playing in the background, and that's two views. So we have one more bit of feedback. Uh, and oh, this thank is, you, Karen. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Karen. <laughs> and it was a pleasure to meet you yesterday, Karen. Uh, it was <laughs> nice. We all went to dinner, so it was a, it was a good time. But um, I have that postcard that I had mentioned. It's such a cute postcard. It's got a bunch of meerkats on the front Aww. from the Houston Zoo. It's from our listener, Alexis S., who I met yesterday online while seeing Scott. And um, like I said, this arrived or I found it in the post office box a couple of days after Matt passed. So Alexis writes, "Um, hi, Chris and Matt. Howdy from Houston. Thank you for doing such an amazing job with the podcast. I look forward to listening after each episode. I know this ship has sailed, but would still love to get your opinion. What do you think of a magic verbena pairing? The project could surely use a psychologist <laughs> on staff. Thanks again for the pod and happy holidays, Alexis S. So that's an interesting nice question. Yeah, it's a very nice postcard. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. I mean, you know, the ship hasn't exactly sailed. It, can't, it could not work out <laughs> with, <laughs> with magic and Beth. You don't know. That would be really sad for Beth in particular, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> Yeah, but at this point, Verbena would be younger than Beth, right? Yeah, she would be younger. So yeah. Magic would be robbing the cradle, maybe. I don't know. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was so hard. It would be hard to do Verbena because, um, you know, we got a lot of her in the novels, but we really didn't get to see a lot of who she was as a character in the show because all of her lines were cut. So we know she was the shrink, but we don't really know a lot else about her. Yeah. I don't think we'll ever see Verbena, but I guess it'd be interesting. If they brought her in and decided on a personality for her, I'd be interested <laughs> to see that. We could. She could be the Deanna Troy of Project Quantum Leap. Oh, no. Well, the later seasons, Deanna Troy, not the early. <laughs> when, she, when she did stuff. Yeah. But instead of having heart-to-hearts uh, in the control room, a heart-to-hearts with magic in his office. Or just... Oh, no. You know what? I hope they never bring Verbena in. I don't want more feeling <laughs> scenes. I don't counseling want... sessions. Therapy is good, but we don't need, we don't need more of these scenes, actually. <laughs> Sorry, Verbena. Don't. Don't bring her in. <laughs> See, and I have, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, hold judgment until we discover whether or not Verbena's voice is more like, say, Jessica Rabbit versus Edith Bunker. Uh, I think, because <laughs> we still don't know what she sounds like. <laughs> hey, everybody, it's me, Verbena. <laughs> She sounds like Al in your head, guys. She's channeling no, Al. No, my yeah, but my Al didn't sound that bad. <laughs> well, who are you doing? Because that was neither Jessica Rabbit or Edith Bunker. I was just trying to go for something not appealing, maybe. Hey, or unexpected. I shouldn't say unappealing. Just you know, you wouldn't expect that from me. Like, oh, hey, oh, I'm Vibita. Was it was Candy Brown? Was that her name? Candy Ann. The Brown. actress who played for Candy Ann Brown. Yeah, I believe so. You wouldn't expect that from her. I don't think she sounds like that. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I just I think it's just funny that we have a major character that we've seen twice and we've never heard her voice, like ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Every time she's going to speak, cut her lines or she but she had to mime saying something. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, I don't know. It'd be an interesting pairing. A rare pair. A rare pair. I'm sure there's fanfics about and, that. And again, <laughs> to, two legacy characters knocking boots. So what's what's not to like about that? Thank you, Alexis S., for that postcard. Thank you for the wonderful words. Uh, It was a pleasure to meet you yesterday as well. Don't be starstruck by me when Scott Bakula is literally 30 feet away. But (laughs) again, my ego, my ego thanks you. Well, it was so sweet that she sent a postcard, though. 
It's you so know nice. what? And here, this Alexis, so sweet in the sense that I put out that appeal and I said, just give me a thrill. I'd love to just go to the P.O. box. And if I find something there, it kind of makes my day. And Alexis, you heard me. Thank you so much for this. <laughs> so if you out there would like to be like Karen or Alexis or even writer Alex Berger, there are many ways that you can reach us here at the Quantum Leap Podcast. You can drop us a postcard at P.O. Box 542, Bayport, New York, 11705. You can get us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can hit us up on Instagram at quantumleappodcast or X at quantumleappod. You can find us on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash thequantumleappodcast. And you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. Just remember, we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. And speaking of upcoming episodes, Allison, tell us what's coming up next. Next, we have The Outsider. An anonymous source sends Ben and an experienced local Denver TV journalist on the trail of a dangerous conspiracy as they pursue the scoop of a lifetime in the early 80s. There's trouble at HQ when Ian's past decisions come back to haunt the team. Dun, dun, this is going to be <laughs> This is going to be kind of a bittersweet one. Um in what way? Because that's the one that's going to be you know this is the one dedicated to Matt, right? Oh, yes, that's right. Uh, you know, it completely slipped my mind. So, yeah, thank you for reminding me. This is the one that Deborah directed and um, that they're going to dedicate to the memory of Matt. I, I'm curious to see how they do it. Wow. Oh, wow. That just grounded me. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> it's like, I'm excited to see what's going to happen. It's just, it's going to be tough. Um, but, uh, you know, um, we're going to get into this when we watch the episode, but uh, I'm grateful that they fought to include that because it's not every day that that happens on a show for a fan, especially. Yeah. But it's just because Matt means so much to them, they fought to have that. So yeah, I mean, I I'm hoping people are tuning in anyway, but uh, this episode especially is uh, very meaningful for us. Very much so. Yeah. And um, it's kind of the worst kind of milestone for our show, if you think about it. But we're just so grateful that Matt has meant as much to them as he has to us and that they're going to honor his legacy and his memory, just as we're attempting to as well. And mm -hmm. um, one of the other perks about this episode will, we hope, be the return of Deborah Pratt to the podcast. Um, we've been talking with Deborah about doing a commentary or another interview based on this episode, and I know she's keen to do it, so we have that in the works as well. So a lot of stuff for this next episode going on, but um, yeah, the journey continues, huh, Allison? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing um, how um, many of these things play out next week. Until that time, I have been Christopher DeFilippis. And I've been Allison Pregler. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Special thanks to our producers, Harold Sullivan, Glenda Palma, Chris, a.k.a. Brackmang, Mike Covert, Jeff Kiska, Greg Riedler, Cosplay Dad, Charles Allen Gossard, 
and Morgan Felden. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap podcast is a barren space production. How did Ziggy like the episode? She she suddenly became very fascinated. She was she was looking at the screen, and then like the the binder scene started, and she's just like, "Huh, really? <laughs> yeah, she was learning something." <laughs> I was curious to know: Does she watch TV as like a thing, or does she just occasionally look up and notice it? And this is one of those times, or was it you know just Shakina's writing? I think it was Shakina's writing. <laughs> <laughs> she uh, yeah she um. She looks up at the TV sometimes, usually when she sees something moving, she likes screens like that, but she doesn't always watch it. We found out she liked Fresh Prince of Bel-Air a lot. <laughs> she has <laughs> certain shows she'll, she'll watch, and then other shows she's like, <laughs> It has to be for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah. And so what is this, like, presage? Is, does this mean that, um, or presage? Presage? What, I'll, I'll say that again without a word that I don't know how to pronounce. That's not consent. You can change your mind at any time. You can't. You can't. Just because you consented to one thing doesn't mean you consent to everything. Yeah. Yeah, Moki agrees. <laughs> I was going to say, that doesn't sound like Penelope. <laughs> no, that's my mother-in-law's dog. Hey, Moki, we <laughs> got a probably, new one. Moki, yeah, there's probably someone at the door. We got a new one in the menagerie here. See, and I have, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, hold judgment until we discover whether or not Vervina's voice is, whether or not Vervina's voice, Verbina, whether or not Vervina, wow, that's a tongue twister, whether or not Vervina, I'll get it. You're swell. You're the bee's knees. You're the cat's meow. You're the cat's ass. Thanks.